listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. If there was ever a time for me to use the DJ air horn sound, <laughs> it is right now. Pause for sound effect. <laughs> Ta-da! Ta-da! We did it. We watched a hundred episodes of Teen Wolf and talked about all of them, whether we wanted to or not. And sometimes it was not. Oh my God. Yeah. Pulling um, teeth. <laughs> oh. But we did it. And I have been trying to like make that feel like reality for me. No. All week. I think that like the idea that we're done until the first trailer drops, obviously. Like we're, mm-hmm. you know. We'll be back. It's a semi-retirement, a soft retirement, if you will. A soft launch. It's of a, our retirement. Of our retirement. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, But... Knowing right now that there's no more Teen Wolf to talk about, despite the fact that people are constantly trying to get us to review fan fiction, (laughs) um, is very weird. I don't feel like it's settled, but I think we will have um, some very strange and quiet weeks ahead of us. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre. It is, like, so crazy. I was... A couple, like, months ago, when we were thinking about the end of this podcast, I was like, it'll be done before Christmas. And now it is done before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I just like, what are, what are my next two, three months going to look like? Um, prepping for our other <laughs> podcast. We're only taking two weeks off. I know. I know. But I mean, the idea that we're putting this project to bed, mm-hmm. you know, is very strange. Yes. Well, it's like, you know, even if, if you've written a book and you've sent it off to the printer, there's something wrong with it. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Well, no, I, I like to think I'm proud of this podcast, the Teen Wolf Roof podcast, a podcast where we talk about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And damn, that was smooth. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I thought I wasn't going to be able to top last time's no. segue, but. But indeed. Yeah. Uh, no, I too am very proud of this project. Yeah. Um, it- I'm, I'm proud of the project. I'm proud of how much better it got over time. Because if you listen to those early episodes with like our less than good sound quality and our less than good analysis and our less than good flow and then kind of move along. Like, I think there is significant growth of which I'm incredibly proud. I would agree. Um, And I'm very grateful that we've had so many people who stuck with us through that growth period, which was um, like when they say growing pains, I'm like, it's not painful to listen to, but it's like awkward. I would say that it is painful to listen to. Um, it's in, it's weird getting like secondhand embarrassment for yourself because mm-hmm. it is firsthand technically, but like a little bit removed because it's been a year, two years in the past. That's this crazy. Has been two years. Yeah, two years of our lives. And you know what? It's been great. And has it just been you know years of our lives? Like we've had very dedicated and awesome listeners who have followed us from if not the beginning very near to it and that is something that I'm also incredibly proud of I'm, I'm so happy for the friends I've made yeah I I couldn't imagine my life right now without the rewolf mm-hmm. it's it's different it yeah totally mm-hmm. um I will cheers to that we are drinking a little bit of bub to celebrate the occasion Although anybody who's listened to this episode has gotten this far and knows that that's not <laughs> unusual or out of character, <laughs> no. out of pocket. No. no. Very normal. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. Um, so we are here and we are going to be wrapping up every season of Teen Wolf in one episode. Lord help us. It's a real big task. Uh, it is. It's a big ask. It's a big task. But we're going to take on the challenge. Amazing. Um, so first... 
In sort of, you know, season finale bonus episode-esque flair, we're going to talk about the things that really we love about Teen Wolf that really work, that are the reasons why we started this podcast in the first place, that are the reasons why you guys are listening and love the show and wanted the movie. Julia, what works about Teen Wolf? I really feel like we cannot start this conversation uh, without discussing Scott and Styles, Because... Yes. Um... They're like, they're the thing that started it all. Um, and like more broadly, I love teen television and I love shows about friendships. And the Scott Styles best friendship is what makes this entire thing possible. I totally agree. I mean, you know, I want to expand on that even so. We're circling back to our first ever episode that like immediately you are drawn into this friendship. And I want to say that like, that is a symptom of a greater success of Teen Wolf, and it is phenomenal characterization. The character mm-hmm. building in this show is so many teen shows end up with like really like cardboard cutout versions of characters, you know? Mm-hmm. I remember when Riverdale aired, and like knowing the little bit I know about Riverdale, I know this isn't technically true, but people were referring to Cheryl as like a dime store Lydia Martin, you mm-hmm. know? Like you couldn't achieve something as good as Lydia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think all of these characters and their relationships, especially as the show progresses, feel really lived in. It feels like they all have a history with each other. Um, I mean, and even like the people who come in and we see them starting their relationship, like there's so much care given to that most of the time um, that it really hits because it feels true to life and it feels authentic. Uh, I totally agree. You know, and like even when we start I think you touched on this a little bit, introducing new characters in the mid to late seasons. They are people who are not slow to make their way in the pack or sort of establish their presence in it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of the ways that like Malia could have been like an, a character who we didn't really care that much about or we didn't like, but like luckily she was given, you know, fun things to work with, and Shelley Hennig does a great job, and you are captivated by her. Mm-hmm. Confused by her presence. <laughs> but she's great. Kira, I think, is another example. I, I, uh, 100%. Liam. It is amazing to watch them become integrated, even though um, it's really tough with Liam at first. And I think that that is such a great reflection of how high school relationships work. Um, because you're hanging out with someone and then all of a sudden they're your best friend and mm-hmm. you're not even sure how it happened, but you're really willing to like accept that. And for all the griping that we do about things that are unrealistic about the high school aspect of Teen Wolf, like that really feels um, like somebody was paying attention or like pulling into their nostalgia of what it was like to just become fast friends with somebody when you were a teenager. You know, as much as I dislike season five, I think there's something incredibly pure and true about it and that's like Styles' anxiety over his friend group splitting up because in high school those people who you're with are like you know the end of your world basically mm-hmm. they're your life raft and so to see it, it demonstrated that they feel the, that way about each other and then expanded outward have reasons for the audience to know why they feel that way about each other is great mm-hmm. and moving past the pack I think you know our adults in this world are like we complain all the time about adults in teen shows, but the characterization of the adults in this show is awesome. You know, they feel like real people. It doesn't feel to me like they are fulfilling an archetype. 
um you know and even though they they have kind of like i would say typical jobs like melissa's a nurse and the sheriff's the sheriff but like they feel like whole people and they actually seem to like their kids which seems to be rare in parents on teen television and teen movies that they like actually like their children and their children like them back Mm -hmm. you know and it's funny because even when we get into the sort of more like archetypal um presentations of these characters like chris could have easily just been like scott's girlfriend's mean dad with the shotgun with the shotgun Mm -hmm. but has one of the best character developments i think we see in the show and it's Mm -hmm. great because like we don't really see him oh like he doesn't his personality isn't overhauled we still see him as like somebody true to his character it's like a it's an overhaul of his system of belief Mm -hmm. which is so much more compelling you know he doesn't become like a nice fluffy like sympathetic soft dude no he's still who he is and that's great he's just changed how he perceives the world and like it's little things like that Mm -hmm. that make the characters in this show so compelling yeah one thing about chris's transformation that i really really appreciate is that it seems to be primarily motivated by a desire to do right by his daughter and it doesn't it's not even like a oh allison died and that is the catalyst for his change like they were actively challenging each other and he wanted to get better because he wanted to be a better parent to her and in like in that process really came to respect scott etc and it was like an an active choice on his part rather than something that happened as a result of like tragedy i mean there's tragedy involved but like he he wanted to be better for the people in his life mm-hmm. which is a, a wonderful um aspect of masculinity you don't often get to see um in media yeah i mean another great thing about that situation in particular is that his change in his beliefs belief system becomes comes before Allison's death mm-hmm. yeah you know? exactly good we're seeing the groundwork being laid it's great and we see a lot of that you know um there are some sort of decreases in that sort of technical strength of the show like we mm-hmm. said that it's it frustrates us that Scott's character starts to fall off but up until the point where he becomes a true alpha we see those like steady stones being stepped to like get to that place And that's compelling. There is a trajectory for all of these characters. And some of them suffer, like, you know, a little bit of underwriting Mm -hmm. due to the fact that this is an incredibly broad cast and it's really hard to get everybody. But other than that, like, you know, Teen Wolf, like, wouldn't have the following it does if it didn't have a character like Stiles Stilinski. That is... So true. Every time, any time that you go to tumblr.edu and tumblr.gov, tumblr.org, um, you go and you like type in whatever episode you're looking for or Teen Wolf. It is just like pages of styles. Mm-hmm. One, I think because he's like doing the most physical comedy most of the time and it's, it's funny to look at, but he's so compelling. And I think part of that is that Styles is really smart and the show treats him with respect. Oh, Totally. In that regard, like, this show is interested in teenagers' intelligence and being intelligent for its audiences, which is why in the later seasons when that really falls short, it's so noticeable. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, it's really invested in letting the characters be 
smart and interested in things outside of school and, you know, having all these special interests. Yes. Yeah. I mean, a lesser show would have made Styles like a buffoon, Mm -hmm. you know, and the fact that he gets to be part buffoon, part genius is great. It's not necessarily like (laughs) the most dynamic. And in fact, like the dynamicness of his character comes in in later seasons and is brilliantly explored by Dylan O'Brien. Um, but already you are subverting the expectation of who this guy is going to be in Scott's life. Actually, I think the great thing is that like Scott's not very smart, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. He, I mean, he's not very in- intellectually like book smart, mm-hmm. but he has all of this emotional intelligence for a lot of Until the show. Until season five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, he has a lot of emotional intelligence. They really balance each other out, which I think is like a core staple of like the teen genre when you have a core group of friends um particularly like I'm thinking about Buffy for mm-hmm. example um and I think that they do it so well yeah well I mean like to borrow another example from Riverdale mm-hmm. I think you sort of have like the jock hero and then like the smart best friend in both cases of like Jughead and Archie and then like Styles and Scott mm-hmm. but you never have to question why Scott and Styles are friends they have enough similarities, like they have enough like repartee and chemistry together that they're not just sort of like goth kid jock <laughs> man. That yeah. is, you know, like we see that they are, they do touch on these archetypes that are used in all of these shows, but ultimately defy them. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's true for again, like I mentioned, Chris, like a lot of these characters. I think that this way the character, the sheriff is characterized is really smart because he kind of go one of two ways, like the hard ass cop or like the loving dad. And the fact that he's constantly like on, you know, a tightrope of that line is mm-hmm. really fun to watch. I, I love when the sheriff shows up in an episode. Mm-hmm. You don't know what he's going to do. Yeah. Um, I feel like we haven't given a lot of um, airtime to the women yet. Oh, let's talk about them. Um, I love them. I love them. I wish that that they were around even more. It is a serious misstep on behalf of Teen Wolf that this show does not center around women. Mm-hmm. That is definitely a symptom of the time. I think the teenage, teen, teeny boppers today are, are definitely given a lot more content that focus on women, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And I'm so envious, but like, to think that because your audience is women, they want to like ogle at men is such an outdated way of producing content. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you have all of these really good female characters at your disposal and not using them as you should is frustrating. But the reason why we're so focused on them is because they are such good characters. Yeah. I mean, I, when I, I remember the first time that I watched the show and I was really I wasn't put off by Lydia but I was not expecting to come to love her as much as you obviously do um and I think it's so great that they like subvert the trope of just like the screaming girl who can't do anything into turning into something like so incredibly powerful and that she is in tune with the supernatural in ways that like other people can't even begin to imagine and it it doesn't like make her special necessarily because we see other banshees. She has her place in the supernatural, but like she gets to exist on even footing with other people. Well, yeah. I mean, when you say like the screaming girl, the thing about the scream queen 
in so far as it pertains to horror as Teen Wolf is, you know, dips its toe in that genre is that they're sort of like, they like sort of survive against the odds, Mm -hmm. you know, like the final girl makes it because usually some sort of like deus ex machina type of situation. Mm -hmm. But the idea that Lydia is supposed to be the person who comments on that by being somebody who is solely like wholly self self self-sufficient is great. It's so fun. It's a it's a weapon. I mean, Styles does have to come in and save her in Eichen House, but like, mm, you know, it was in season five, so I choose not to see it. I, yeah, I choose not to engage. I choose not to engage. She screamed her way through like nine inches of steel. I I don't believe that. You know, seems fake, but yeah. okay. Um, you know, we talked about this a lot in the first season, and it's sad that we haven't gotten to talk about her in so long because mm-hmm. I love her. But I said this to you when we first started podcasting that, like, I didn't like Allison at first. And it took a lot of, like, sort of breaking down some of my internal biases and, like, internalized misogyny to understand that I think Allison is great. Mm-hmm. And my initial distaste for her was based on, like, you know, an immature sense of the world. And, like, I think watching her, you know, go through her whole process of, like, finding out about the supernatural and indoctrination toward the opposite side and coming back as like this amazing hero is awesome. You know, Mm -hmm. I remember being so confused when you told me that because like, obviously I watched Teen Wolf for the first time as a 23 year old. Yeah. I I almost envy you. Mm -hmm. I wish that I had been able to watch it and just been Mm -hmm. so supportive of Allison the whole time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think as like a an adult who had been working through a lot of that already, I just Im- was so immediately ready to love her. Um, and the show does its damnedest to get you to hate her. And then that's what's so <laughs> kind of delicious about it. But Allison, I think, is like the last example of this, unfortunately, in Teen Wolf. But she has to earn her place back. Yeah. Um, she has to like atone and apologize for what she did and like earn her space back in the pack after having been so destructive. Um, which I I love because, you know, it goes back to what we were saying about characterization. She actually gets to have this arc. Um, you know, she gets to be a full person. Um, and I particularly love the way that that plays into her relationship with Scott because they evolve so far beyond, um, you know, just like the love struck teenagers at the beginning of the series to people who kind of don't know where they stand with each other and are kind of pursuing other romantic relationships. I find that fascinating to watch. Um, I also think it's a lot more cognizant of the fact that like when you break up with somebody, they do not leave your life. Mm-hmm. So many shows will be like, I saw her in the hallway the other day. Dude, she still sniped you in English class. It doesn't matter. You have chem lab together. (laughs) You guys are lab partners. Sorry. Um, And yeah, I think watching Allison's progression, again, like you said, it, I don't even necessarily necessarily think it's like the last intelligent, last time they do this intelligently, but I, God, I wish that we saw Monroe go through a similar process of Allison Mm -hmm. because we know they could do it well. And then they sort of just like, it was so shoehorned. That, that I think is like perhaps Teen Wolf's, Teen Wolf's biggest downfall is that it does such an excellent job of showing the audience what it can do at its height and at its most intelligent. And so you come to expect a really high caliber of work um, being done. And then when it doesn't 
you know, continue to reach up to those expectations. And maybe it's unrealistic to expect that it would. It's just so disappointing. Yes. Yes. Um, I totally agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still in terms of, of things people like, you know, I'm, I'm excited that you liked Allison so quickly. Mm-hmm. Teen Wolf kind of sets people up for you to want to watch them. Even people who are in the moral gray, like, Peter, you're captivated by. Even somebody who doesn't have as much screen time, but is clearly like, you know, good or bad, depending on where the pay is, like Brayden, mm-hmm. you want to watch her. Oh my God. Talk about... Talk about an underserved character. Yeah. I would watch a full season about Brayden. I love her. I I want just 20 minutes of her and Derek. How? What? What's the deal with that? I want to know. Yeah. So bad. I would, I would like to see it. One, I'm captivated. Two, they're very sexy they're together. They're so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anybody else on the characterization front you want to talk about? Um, I, I feel like we've done a very significant amount of talking about my sweet baby Liam. Um, but I just adore him. And I, I think it's hard to introduce the new generation in any teen show. But he fits in so well with the rest of the ensemble and it's not an automatic like I'm your brother now what the fuck are you talking about mm-hmm. you know but he um is such a delight to have on screen um all anytime that he shows up a joy well I, it's funny I remember disliking Liam when he was first introduced too because I was like no I like the old people <laughs> like I'm sad Allison's not here and then I think literally it took him like like styles looking over and being like oh oh god he's crying for me to be like no liam it's the best i'm so happy he's here he's so great he was i mean he is so quickly presented as somebody who's vulnerable Mm -hmm. in all of these different and strange and complicated ways where i was like that is a lot more attention than people usually pay to like their next gen you know cast yeah Yeah. i'm it would have been so easy to just label Liam as a kid with anger management issues and move on. Mm-hmm. But the fact that that's something that's like actually addressed and plays into the anxieties he has about being a werewolf and something that he has to really overcome. Like that's uh, such a great way for us to get to know who he is and what he values. Yeah. I think it would be really easy for his anger problems to be like a bit. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they are, but only in, but only after he's gone through this huge process of us getting to know him. Like when he punches Theo and he's like, oh, by the way, I still have anger problems. It's like, yeah, good, good. What a good callback to how we first met you. Yeah. Also like in terms of like the baby pack, unfortunately they couldn't do anything for Hayden's characterization. And that pisses me off forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I love Corey. No, I love Mason and Corey's there. Uh, Corey, I don't feel much about. They didn't really do present. anything for that. But then, and then Theo obviously is like, Peter Jr. And I'm like, cool, bring it on. Bring Excellent. It on. Great. Yes. Excellent. So, I mean, characterization, we've kind of touched pretty much every character, except we didn't say Deucalion, but he's in there too, um, has really captivating things. And obviously there are people who get le- like less good stories, mm-hmm. people who uh, are, you know, underserved. I would love to know more about the Calaveras. I'd love to know the primal. You just drop, drop that in. in. Where did Nishiko go? I have questions because I want to know more about her. Yet another person who was airlifted to a hospital and barely... And, I mean, we see Raphael again. But how did he get there? Yeah. Nishiko gets airlifted to a hospital. We never see her again. No, I think she comes back and gives us the sword in oh, season right. six. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like, 
I like the way, you know, as much as I wish that they had been able to reintroduce them, it says something that I'm like, where did that character go? I want to see them again. Yes. Yeah. Um, Deaton, we did not talk about, but he falls under that category. Totally. Um, let's move on. What else works about Teen Wolf? Um, the, the soundtrack. Oh my gosh. There are like some musical cues that make this show. I, Every lacrosse <laughs> song paired with a lacrosse sequence is good. The thing about um, scoring in pretty much any piece of media is well, are talking like, about scoring or the soundtrack? Both. I mean, okay. like the use of music and sound. Um, if it's if you don't really notice it, it's like cool they did their job. If you really notice it, that means it was really good or it really sucked. And Tin Wolf falls into the it is so good mm-hmm. category and you mentioned that to me before i started watching it and i was like yeah okay no it fucks yeah again having being on mtv helps the fact that when this show was airing it would tell you what the song was and who the artist was in the corner oh uh, mm-hmm. and you know people love to make fun of this little piece <laughs> of television history of image and heaps hide and seek premiering in the oc mm-hmm. then followed with the famed snl sketch about yes. it but you know, that was kind of even still a little new at the time that Teen Wolf was doing that. And all of these songs were being presented to an audience who had really never heard them before, which is kind of risky because, you know, there's all those songs that show up in every show. Mm-hmm. How to Save a Life, Yellow. If I had a dime. Yeah, right? <laughs> and I think the risk, it's not even a risk because it's very well um, Really well done. Mm-hmm. Really well done. But sort of like, we can do this with the unexpected. You mm-hmm. know, I would have never had known the song that plays when Lydia and Styles kiss. Um, if it weren't for Teen Wolf. Yeah. Um, Start of Time by Gabrielle Applin. And I wouldn't know about I wouldn't know about that song. And it's great that I do it because it's beautiful and it so defines that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I you know, I, I kind of wonder, we've We've talked a lot about how much we love like a Teen Wolf rave, and I kind of wonder. Oh, with the bloody beetroots is literally there. <laughs> I well, I kind of wonder if like that was influenced by the fact that MTV had access to all of this stuff. It was, I, yeah, one hundred percent. Um, and so that enabled us to get fun, cool things like a Teen Wolf rave. Like yeah, the bloody beetroots, like, um, it just added something that I th- a lot of other teen shows don't have because they're spending their budget on other things. Yeah. Or just like, I mean, just having the licensing, you know, ability to put that much, or like put that much music you'd have to license in a show mm-hmm. is. Yeah. It just, I mean, like normally you think of like, <laughs> Oh, that show played this song then cool. Mm-hmm. It was in the budget, but that much is, is great. It was, and it was so fun to watch while it was on. Cause you were like, mm-hmm. One, because you didn't have to try to figure out what the lyrics were to look up the song. You could just be like, okay, putting that in the iTunes library when you still had to buy music because that's when I, you know, we, us OGs were watching Teen Wolf. The olds. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh. Like streaming, <laughs> streaming has existed for like, I guess our entire adult life at this point. Maybe mm-hmm. actually probably slightly after. Slightly after. Yeah. We used to have to 
I like it's funny. I just had to put <laughs> I just had to put 150 gigs of music on a hard drive because that's how much I owned. I have so many CDs that I cannot listen to because I don't have a freaking CD player. But like we can find so you many. a CD player. I know it's just like not top of the priority list, and also they're like in storage somewhere. But I can't get rid of my CDs. No, can't get rid of my CDs. No, no, no. It's impossible. I own that music. <laughs> Actually, I stole a lot of it. So did I own it originally? No. But is it on the hard drive? Yes. Mm, um, that's any, part of the internet. That Definitely part of the internet. Would you download a pizza? Yes, yes I, I absolutely would. would. Does it come out of my printer? <laughs> I, I would download a pizza. Oh, no. What? Oh, my God. Do, what? Do the Zoomers know about the you wouldn't <laughs> download a blank ads? Um, tweeted us. Okay, if you are below the age of 21, I want to know if you have ever seen an internet anti-piracy ad that's like, you wouldn't download a refrigerator, even though you totally would if that were possible. Yeah, like a, a Robin's Egg Smeg Blue yeah. refrigerator. Totally would. Like, piracy is a, isn't a victimless crime. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is totally. sure is. Uh, um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's like saying IDK my BFF Jill to, like, anyone 18 years old and under, and they're like, what? Mm, what? IDK my BFF Jill. Yeah. Yeah. That means something. To us. Hmm. What a hard thing to come to grips with. We're old. Being anyway, old. Um, the funny thing is, is like I know we have a lot of listeners who are older than us, so they're like, shut up. You're <laughs> in your 20s. Um, anyway, so yeah, the music is amazing. I notice the scoring less. I think sometimes it's pretty affecting, but in terms of sound, the sound design on this show box it is so good <laughs> it is incredible actually do you know what i i think of when i think about like teen wolf sound and also scoring um is the oni mm-hmm. stuff that they do with hmm. like the it's kind of like I, I don't know what instrument it is exactly and then there's like clicking involved and they whoosh in and it's just like all of the all of the everything i mean it's yeah I, we talked about the bone clicking of the berserkers. Oh my God. It's so evocative, especially because like if you shone a floodlight on one of the berserkers, you'd be like, that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen. But the way that they light them and the way that the sound is done, you're like, that's terrifying. Yes. And some, you know, some of the Foley is affecting, albeit cheesy. Mm-hmm. So like, um, I remember us commenting on this, this, the sound of the sword shings in the finale of 3B is mm-hmm. fun, but it's also a little over the top, but it is really good. So it's a really good balance of knowing when to be like a little over the top. Yeah. I, I think that really works well with the, um, an element that Teen Wolf does really, really well, which is body horror. Oh yeah. Well, the body horror also, I noticed falls off a fair bit in the later seasons, which sucks because it's like I should say just <laughs> six, um, because five you have all the silver sharpie, but the silver sharpie mm-hmm. isn't blood, therefore it doesn't bring out the same. Yeah, but whatever. it's like they do such a good job squishing and crunching and like all of the things that would go along with the disgusting, and I mean that in a very positive, complimentary way. Body horror that goes on. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I think aesthetically, all of the technical elements generally complement each other. I could do with like. A little bit more light, like 90% of the time. But I also don't know what the Teen Wolf budget was. So if they were just hiding mistakes, <laughs> fine, do it. Because I still wanted mm-hmm. to watch. Yeah, sound sound is a huge thing. I remember when we started this podcast, I had um, 
some uh, really professional reviewers uh, listened to our first episode, my family. <laughs> um, but I sent it to my older sister, who had watched a little bit of Teen Wolf, not as much as she didn't go back after you know she started kind of getting out of it or whatever. But she was mm-hmm. like, the thing that you need to focus on is how good the sound is in the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that we can pinpoint seasons by the sound, like you know, I think about the sound palette of six A. And how the th- when you think about what it sounds like, you hear spurs clicking as people walk. Oh, how it good is, is so that? Good. Right? It's excellent. Even like the as much problems as we have as we have in season five, the like underwater metallic clicking sound that the Dread Doctors make. It's so like mechanical and like it's like cogs in a clock, and it so defines that season. Oh, we have. I mean, I love the design of the Dread Doctors, and I think sound is probably like 70% of what makes it work. Yeah, I think that they kind of um, dropped the ball on the mm-hmm. steampunk evil doctors episode episode season, and mm-hmm. uh, that's a bummer because we're both I, interested in I'm that. I'm a fan, yeah. Yeah, sound is great. And I think that that brings us into a, like a greater conversation about design. Every season of this show has a very specific color palette, mm-hmm. a very specific like lighting style, the sound design we just talked about. I even think the music changes up a little bit. And we said this when we last we talked to Will Wallace, writer of Teen Wolf, friend of the podcast, um, that each season is like a little mini series. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they are all so distinctly aesthetically unique even with split seasons, is really good. Yeah. Weirdly enough, it kind of makes the show feel cohesive to me, even though, like, it is so distinct. But I I always know that I'm watching Teen Wolf. I always know that I'm engaging with these characters, and it kind of, it really helps to break up the storylines, um... You know, and it really sets the tone for how you are going to view the episode, which (laughs) this season, um, which I think is helpful. And I mean, design makes you feel things. I I need to sometimes be told what to feel. And no, no, mm -hmm. I I don't need to be told. I would like to have enough information mm-hmm. to feel what I'm supposed to be feeling. That, like, I think the idea that, like, oh, music just tells you what to feel is condescending and not honorific of the intelligence of your audience. Hmm. I need, if you can't establish a tone in your content, that is on you, not on me as the receiver. And I think Teen Wolf, with the exception of 6B, does a pretty good job of delivering tone. I agree. Even in um, season five, like, it, do I think that season is good? Uh, I think, but I know what I'm. I know what the sort of expectation of my emotional state is. Well, because it it gives you consistency to the tone of the season. Yes, through your design, um, and I mean sometimes it's not always successful. But I I do think that like part of what makes Teen Wolf so attractive is like the vibe. Yeah. And that is, I, I think, achieved through the design. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, even when we switch locations, so obviously it's a huge jump between two and three. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the sort of, um, you know, change of the the design, 
the literal like setting the the geographical location changes based on filming location which like yeah you can't you can make georgia look like a lot of places Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of things film in georgia you can't make it look like southern california so that changes but it also changes with like the expectation that you're supposed to be feeling a different kind of discomfort Mm -hmm. in the season so even sort of incidental changes in the filming process in the you know uh production assist in like the aesthetic establishment of tone well yeah and it, it kind of weirdly coincides with like a growth in confidence from all of these characters of like kind of knowing what they're doing or like at least having their feet under them a little bit um it, it seems like it's maturing with them totally almost. not that like you know it's immature to be in georgia or whatever but like because you're in a new location and you're setting up your new story or whatever you know you have that opportunity to have it feel more mature mm-hmm. yes totally and you know i i am not speaking ill of the first two seasons um because they were working with what was a, a much clearly a much lower budget a much lower you know um sort of extent of their reach and accomplishing so much so much so much and so i still feel like one and two have very distinct palettes tones coloring sound design like that and the fact that that became part of the staple of the show mm-hmm. including really bad cgi for double extra scary mega alpha werewolves season five <laughs> is great you know consistency is key the alpha looks just as dumb in season one as it does in season five <laughs> so it was on purpose so it was on purpose you're right actually you know what teen wolf you caught me i see what you were doing you got me there yeah um so i mean design is great like costume design the fact that it like the fact that all of because it doesn't really matter what boys wear but like Mm -hmm. the fact that scott and styles have really distinct fashion Mm -hmm. it's as distinct as men's fashion can be but like you're always likely to see styles and hoodie and scott in a button down right yeah, I mean, well, especially for the time, that's, like, it feels very accurate and kind of what you could do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that they took the time and care Isaac wears. I, I remember people were obsessed with the fact that, like, Isaac wears scarves more than once. Yeah. I love that Isaac is, like, kind <laughs> of a dandy. <laughs> I just love to twirl the scarf. And, um, and Peter has distinct fashion. And then when it comes to the girls, obviously Lydia, like, Lydia, Kira... Malia and Allison all have very distinct fashion choices. So we have sort of like, it's a little rockabilly with Malia with the Daisy Dukes and the boots. And then like Lydia's very dark academia and Allison is very, it's 2013 sort of like indie girl. And then Kira sort of like kawaii, which, Mm -hmm. okay. But it's so distinct. Yeah. I, I particularly love the evolution of Allison's style uh, throughout the time that she's on the show. From the 2011 to the 2014. Yeah, but it also, it it becomes a little bit more streamlined. It becomes a little bit more like something that a hunter would wear, particularly when she goes through like her whole indoctrination thing. It, and then takes a step back because then mm-hmm. by season three, A and B, she's back in, you know, dresses and tights again. Yeah, it's great. Um, I love that indicator. Um, and, you know, obviously like, you have to have use everything in your arsenal to indicate that these 30-year-old actors are maturing as teenagers. 
Uh, so I think Lydia's style matures as she gets a little bit older. Um, and so does Malia's, but it, they do a really good job of staying true to kind of what we first saw them in and like what they were using to define them in a way. Yeah. Like in the way that Lid, like Malia is naked and then just doesn't <laughs> wear pants. I'm into that. <laughs> um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for her character to just never, never wear pants. No. Yeah. I am pro shorts. I'm pro jean shorts. Are they comfortable? No. Do they look good? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, I think that there is incredible care being paid to all of the technical elements of this show. And that is a great joy because, you know, I think it's easy to be like, well, are teenagers watching for this? Yes, I was and I am. I'm not a teenager now, but I was, and I am, so. <laughs> Have, has anybody ever met a teenager? Yeah, no. Like, Literally, writers? no. Um, I, I'm, yeah, I, I, clearly no. Yeah. Clear, they're funny. They have style. Well, I think that you probably have a couple shows where you can kind of, you know, compare this. Like, there is a difference in, like, like let's say Gossip Girl, a very costume-heavy show, like a very mm-hmm. fashion-forward show. Whereas, like, you do know the difference between the way that Serena dresses and the way that Blair dresses, but it's all sort of dressed up with the Gossip Girl flair. Mm-hmm. There's not necessarily, like, a general teen wolfism that gets thrown into everybody's wardrobe. No. Yeah. They look they look like real people. Yeah, they do. I appreciate that they look like real <laughs> Very hot real people, but, you know... Hot people exist. They sure do. Do we know them? No. But hey, um, <laughs> what else? Were, you know what? Actually, I want to propose one. Please do. I am incredibly impressed with the risk Teen Wolf took in presenting mature material to adults and expecting them to level up to it. Say more. So I think that a lot of what Teen Wolf does is it doesn't scandalize sort of sort of life aspects like so many teen shows do. I love that we never have like a virginity plot line. Mm-hmm. You know, it expects you to sort of get over that, right? We don't watch Scott lose his virginity. We assume that Allison has already lost hers when they get together. The only time it's ever really a joke is when it's about like ritual sacrifice. Yeah. You know, we're expected to get over the sort of menial aspects of teen television to get to what actually matters in Teen Wolf. What I really like about that is that it's not scandalous. No part of like humanity is scandalized in the show. It is so understanding of people being people. Again, that is something that sort of falls off in the later seasons, but Mm -hmm. especially like one to four yeah, it's. I think it's hard, especially as a grown-up, I think it's hard to watch a lot of media that is supposed to be presentable to a wide range of audiences that disregards intimacy between people, and not just sexual intimacy, but that also counts as well. Um, because I, I, I think a lot of popular media feels very sexless these days, and Teen Wolf is certainly not shy And I don't even mean just the sex stuff. I mean in the way we're like, like lying is an aspect of the show and it hurts people. And instead of it being like a bad deal, that's like a big deal that somebody lied or withheld information, the big deal is placed on the fallout and not on the action. Mm -hmm. It is like so boring 
when people are like, God, I, they lied to me. This is horrible. Blah, 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 blah. It's about that person. Whereas like when Malia finds out that Peter is her dad, she is mad at Styles for withholding that information, but it's far more about the fact that she now has to reevaluate how she sees herself as a person, knowing that simple paternity fact. Mm-hmm. That is so much more engaging than, I can't believe you lied to me, Styles. We're never going to get back together ever again. Well, I think that's partially because Teen Wolf is really interested in like the less dramatic aspects of like interpersonal relationships less melodramatic yes exactly it's interested in the drama it's not really interested in the surface level sometimes it is but like I wouldn't really say that yeah and it it it, I think does a really excellent job of balancing the interpersonal drama with Malia's having to reevaluate who she is as a person Scott goes through that so much because of you know, becoming a true alpha and like, what does that actually mean? I wish we got to see a little bit more of it, but, um, I think, you know, it, it goes back to like letting all of these characters be real people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- and I think that's like unique yeah. to Teen Wolf in a way. Yeah. I mean, and even some of the earlier stuff where it is playing on way bigger teen tropes, like the idea of Lydia and Jackson being in the popular crowd, After season two, we never get a glimpse at how popular any one given character is at any time. Yeah, because there isn't actually a popular crowd in high school. It's it's definitely something that you walk into like freshman year assuming. There's going to be, am I going to be popular? No, because there is fucking 1500 kids here. Nobody knows your name. It's fine. And what, I mean, what does end up happening and what is true to life is that people you know, create their own little cliques that they can be the kings and queens of. And it's like kind of political, but eventually you just move past that and it's not important. And Teen Wolf choosing to move past that is so smart. And there's so many other like basic ass tropes that even happen in supernatural shows that didn't happen. You know, there's really no big love triangle. There's no teen pregnancy, you know. I could go so long in my life without another teen pregnancy like yeah and like plot line on the terms of in, in terms of like the love triangle like there is a reason why the vampire diaries is fun mm-hmm. but it it doesn't have near of the like maturity that i think that teen wolf does yeah i i love even freaking true blood is like <laughs> love triangle out the wazoo and it's really boring and teen wolf is like yeah, i'm not doing that yeah good smart well and Part of what makes that so successful is that, like, Scott clearly has so much respect for Allison. Because that's what I think of when I think about, like, the potential love triangle in Teen Wolf is between Scott, Isaac, and Allison. Um, Okay, but I know. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, the (laughs) fact that we're even sitting here being, like, Alice, Isaac, Thrupple is because of how well it's handled. Yeah. Because Scott McCall has two hands. (laughs) Scott McCall has two hands and a lot of emotional maturity. And intelligence in that season. Yeah. I mean, and there's really, there's not, it's not even like there couldn't, like if Jackson had stuck around, maybe there would be a Jackson, like Styles, Lydia thing. Maybe there would be a Malia Scott Styles thing. Like there are all of these in, like interactions where it could have been questioned, but the fact that it's not is like, yeah, smart. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't like dangle fake drama in front of me when uh, people are dying. 
right? Well, I think that's part of what allows them to get away with it because there are things that with such higher stakes going on. I think presenting real stakes, like, it's annoying because, like, the stakes sort of get kebobbled in, mm-hmm. like, season five and it's really hard to recover. I think 6A does a really good job. But, like, I think presenting, like, the very real stakes of, like, life or death and like we watch characters die characters who I wish didn't die because I would have liked to know more about them but like there is no time for anybody to be worried about interpersonal drama Boyd is dead you know what I'm saying Boyd is dead Scott's failing his classes yeah like there's just greater things to be worried about and I love that Teen Wolf is worried about the greater things while not disregarding the interpret like it it exists so well all together without sacrificing one thing for another. Yes, I agree. To an extent, again. There are flaws. It's really hard to watch this show as a whole piece. Again, going back to the fact that it feels like six miniseries. Yeah. Which could also be considered like eight miniseries, (laughs) depending on how you divide three and six. It's kind of sometimes hard to step away from like it's really hard to view it as a whole thing because of how different they are and when we say this I want to say like there is a caveat on certain seasons you know Mm -hmm. there's more like teeny bopper drama in two and one than there is in the rest of the show there's a lot less emotional intelligence or even just like content intelligence in five than there is in you know a lot of the other uh seasons but on the whole I think that what we're talking about rings true and it's the reason why people like the show they as it like I the reason why I liked Teen Wolf so much when I was 16 is because it was the first show that was geared toward me that challenged me in mm-hmm. any way. Yeah, well and I think that the big differences between like 1 and 2 and then into 3 um is just a reflection of like people's priorities changing and maturing and like the idea that a show wants to grow along with the the audience that it's built. Very cool. Yes. All right. What else works? Oh my gosh. I should have written down a list. So many things. Would you care to share something else that you No, think I works? picked the last one. <sighs> Villains. Yes. On average. On average. Is what I would say. Um, but from the jump, uh, Teen Wolf Villains. Fuck. Like, I think the way that Peter circles in and out of villainy is great. I mm-hmm. think I uh, we hate Kate at the beginning because she's meant to be hated, but her return is so entertaining. Gerard's through line is great. We love the Alpha Pack. We love Ducalion. Everybody and their brother. Anybody who has seen <laughs> Teen Wolf loves Void Styles and the New Good Today. And I mean, mm-hmm. full props to Dylan O'Brien. We are not shy about how good we think he is and how much of this, how much he is contributing to this show being as good as it is. But yeah, yeah. the New Good Today is great. Do I think the Deadpool makes any sense? No, it doesn't matter. Is because it fun? Yeah, it's yeah. fun. The Dread Doctors suck because they didn't give them a motive, but... Theo coming back, like Theo ends up being a character we're really interested in. Ghost Cowboys. That Nazi guy sucked, but the Ghost Cowboys. Inspired. Yes. Inspired. Um, Yeah, I mean, we're not shy, obviously, about 
uh, absolutely loving Peter. He's such a con- compelling villain. Um, and even though the reveal is pretty late in the se- in the season, I think, unless I'm misremembering that that he's the alpha. Yeah. yeah. Um, he makes such an impression um, that it clearly like carries him through the rest of the way of the series. I think when we were talking about design, we didn't really talk about um, the Kanama or the Nagitsune, but I think the Kanama design is so interesting. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Uh, that, uh, we talk about this one, just that, that, <laughs> that scene that's been gift a million times of Jackson just raising his hand with the claws yes. and the shower and the scales. And we talked about the design, like the mummy design of, Reese, mm-hmm. the Nogitsune with the silver teeth in the last episode and talked about it a bunch in season three. Oh, I just want to look at it. I want to keep looking at it. It disgusts me, but I can't look away. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the fact that Matt is like a creeper and a really messed up dude, but ultimately he's just a high schooler who kind of lucked into having this monster that does his bidding. Yeah. Which is amazing because if you're going to tell a story about like an ordinary, quote unquote, ordinary person being corrupted because they are presented with power, I think that is such an excellent way of going about it. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I think the idea that there's like a lot of like just some guys in Teen Wolf, Mm -hmm. you know, it starts to get boring when there's so much like when there's so much more like people who are exceptional, you know? Mm hmm. But when it's people like Matt, and Matt is clearly damaged and horrible and, you know, completely disgusting. Mm-hmm. But him dying as a human drowned by, like, drowned by Gerard? Yeah. Oh, it makes you feel things. So much. Yeah. Um, like, the humanity in the villainy of the show. Like, that's another reason as to why the Dread Doctors don't work is because they are, like, wholly unhuman by the time that they roll onto the scene. But, like... Not, and not in the way that, like, the ghost cowboys are inhuman. We we know that they don't have a motive. They just are. Like, mm-hmm. they are just being what they are, which I think is fine because other things are happening around them. But the Dread Doctors, like, clearly have a motive that is never clearly defined. Yeah. And because they're not people, we don't give a shit. Yeah. But I... And this is a concept that I think was kind of dropped in Teen Wolf that I think is so interesting. Like, Jennifer, yes, obviously is about revenge. Mm-hmm. But a lot of what she talks about and a lot of like the Celtic druidic mythology that they bring in is about like keeping balance in the supernatural world. And when things are out of balance, um, you know, you let evil into the world mm-hmm. and you tip the scales. Like, I think that is so interesting. Um, there were I, I love a dual villain, actually, and Team Wolf pulls that off really well because you kind of don't know where to look. Yeah, I mean, I think that three is probably the best example. Mm-hmm. There were times when I was a little bit like, screw Jennifer, but that is more to do with writing problems of making her a little bit more vapid than I would have liked. Yeah, I don't think that they were really pulling off the femme fatale that they were going for. No, they made her like an English teacher. Which, okay. <laughs> which, cool. And I like her relationship with Derek or her sort of, you know, tryst. Mm-hmm. in that direction um i don't know it was clearly way more than we thought it was yeah in or whatever given whatever 6b is trying to tell us i don't i'm not buying what you're selling 6b <laughs> but yeah i mean like i think the way that we want more of certain villains i think the way that they can kate who 
is gone so early in the show and makes a return in four and then again in six B. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, okay, bring it on. Alrighty. It says a lot to me about how the audience views their villains and whether or not they are, because there's a lot of villains that frankly aren't entertaining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, uh, almost every villain in Teen Wolf is captivating in one way or another even whether it be like am i a little bit on their side do Mm -hmm. i you know empathize with them sympathize with them and sympathize with them in a way that makes me more interested in their story or are they just a fun person to watch like peter you know who's to say it's great i think villainy is done really well i think this is going to lead us into our section on things that do not work the villains (laughs) but particularly the season five do you want to talk about season five i do i think that it is the great disruptor of the show um i nobody who listens to this podcast or follows us on twitter (laughs) needs to sort of hear us beat down the season any more than we already have i think we have laid out our thoughts very critically and intelligently like I don't think that I'm being unfair when I talk about season five honestly and if I am tell me because I know we have season five stands and I don't want you guys to feel like your opinion on that season isn't being heard because art is subjective haven't you heard (laughs) art is subjective um but frankly it derails so much of the good work that the first four seasons put into the show and even though 6a is an absolute triumph comparatively it is really hard to recover, and 6B is proof positive of that. I completely agree. Um, five just feels so out of place. It feels too long, um, and I I wish we could have fixed it. But also, I think the issue with season five is that it kind of throws into relief the things that are not quite working about Teen Wolf in the later ser- seasons. Um you know, particularly the characterization of Scott, who doesn't really get to grow at all. Well, no, I've said this before. Like, season four, Scott faces a far more human dilemma and, like, experience than season five Scott ever does. Yeah. Well, and then, like, continues on, like, season 6A is, yeah, you you know, and we've said it's, like, recentering the show around kind of the most pivotal character who everybody really cares about and then you throw it out of whack again in 6b and you put scott into a position where you could have him asking these really interesting morally complicated questions and he still refuses to do it um which is so frustrating because i am so interested in scott as a character and it really feels like the show becomes uninterested in him yes I don't even necessarily know if I'm that much more interested in Scott than I am in the other characters because I have, you know, great leanings towards Malia and Styles and whatever. But I think when your show disengages from its, like, epicenter, Mm -hmm. you're inherently going to suffer. Yeah. Um, I, (laughs) I really hate the way that Lydia is treated on this show quite a lot yeah I want to well I want to talk about season I I I want to talk about female characters separately obviously that is a big part of season five and the Mm -hmm. issues we have with it but sticking on the season five front um it is very apparent to me that Teen Wolf bit off a way bigger bite than they could ever chew and we're still choking as we went into the last two seasons 
Well, what is so insane to me about that is that they had 20 episodes to make whatever point they were trying to make and still failed. It it was a similar like issue with 6B where I felt like I was being told the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, but what's the point? Yeah. I mean, I think the plot of five, because I don't really care. I, well, the fact that like the first part of five is the dread doctors and the second part of five is the beast. I think it could all be told in, I don't know, maybe not 12 episodes, but 16. Well, especially because like the dread doctors are still there. It feels like it's still their season. Yeah. You know, um, especially coming off of four, which, you know, all of Scott's friends are, you know, have their head on a banner that are like, if you kill me, I'll get millions of dollars. So everybody's fighting for their lives. And then Scott just literally turned into a berserker. How fucking traumatic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we transition right into this season that doesn't take the time to let any of the characters breathe. No. After And especially because, you know, the ending of 3B was so momentous um, and that never got time to breathe. And so, like, you're just piling on crap until you get to five. And all of these characters have been in, in just, like, frozen, mm-hmm. um, you know, in development-wise. And then we never get a chance to, like, let them sit on their floor and cry. Well, I, I don't even necessarily, like, obviously I have complained a million times about the fact that we don't get to say with any of the emotions on Teen Wolf, we don't get to experience grief. Hashtag Teen Wolf doesn't bury their dead. You can use that hashtag Wolf Pack. Anyway, <laughs> um, but it's not even necessarily like I'm upset that they're not recovering from four because they didn't really recover from three anyway. And that was frustrating, but I still had an okay time watching four. The idea that season five is like this amorphous blob where the writers were like, we're going to challenge everything everyone knows about Teen Wolf. And that was literally like the marketing campaign for the season was like Scott and Styles' relationship is being put to the test, but instead of doing it in any organic way that served the characters and actually, you know, came like developed out of the context of the show or even the season four arc and just made up something. Oh, it's, it is, uh, lazy. So incredibly lazy. And Literally, like, just in the way that we have been asking people for their questions and observations, and we've had, like, an influx of people just recently as we've gone through season B having more season five thoughts, I mean, season six B having more season five thoughts as we close out the show because it was such a hindrance to the progression of the rest of the show. Mm -hmm. Being like, why on God's green earth would Scott not listen to Styles? Because that was man- that was manufactured. That was made up. There was nothing coming out of the context of the show that brought forth that plot line. And that's why it's infuriating to watch, especially amongst um, a season that doesn't honestly make a lot of sense, doesn't engage very wholly with human emotion, doesn't tell us motives, doesn't explain, you know how we got here it's basically there to make some sort of like false moral quandary that none of us are interested in Mm -hmm. that is frustrating because you're not even doing it within the context that we have come to understand the show yeah it seems unintelligent first of all severely um and like teen wolf is often and i'm not gonna say that this succeeds all the time but they are often trying to like lay the groundwork for stuff that they want to bring up in the future 
and kind of telegraphing things before they happen um, and giving people like a little bit of a, a warning about what might be ahead. And we don't even see a good like build up to the Scott and Styles breakdown, which is something we know that Team Wolf can do mm-hmm. because it's foreshadowed things really effectively in the past. And it's laid the groundwork for relational issues really well in the past. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they couldn't be bothered to do it with like the most important relationship on the show is like, wh- how did you think you were going to get away with that is actually my question. Oh my God. If you wanted that to work, their relationship should have been fragmenting the second season four started. But because season four comes off one of the biggest triumphs of their relationship, how are you going to do that? Well, and what's crazy is that they had, they absolutely had the opportunity to make that happen because Scott, very emotionally intelligent, as we've discussed, but there is a, there is a universe where he blamed Styles for Allison dying. Totally. Or like at least oh a little bit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And we never recover from that fully. Everyone's like, we're so sorry you were possessed, Styles. We definitely didn't experience any of the horrific, you know, outcome mm-hmm. of that, even though they all did. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, okay, maybe Scott didn't blame Styles for Allison's death. Maybe that's, maybe he can move on. But like Styles, knowing what we know about him, he would be like racked with guilt for all of the things that he had done. Oh my God. And you know what? This is moving away from our conversation on season five, which like how many times can we beat that dead horse? But like Teen Wolf has a massive consistency problem. And even though I think it can be really great that the whole show is basically set up like a bunch of miniseries, it makes trying to find the through line near impossible and you know deciding that this series is a different plot line and therefore doesn't have the emotional value of the thing you just finished of this great feat that you just completed is lazy mm-hmm. like I don't even just want to say lazy it's inconsiderate to your characters to your audience it's frustrating well it's like they just completely forgot everything that they had done yeah um and obviously some of that is like evident in the how weak the breakdown is between Scott and Styles but some of it is just like logistical and emotional problems like Lydia literally has a hole drilled in her head in season five we never fucking talk about it ever again I said this when we were talking about season five yeah you know what you used to just do to hysterical women Drill drill holes holes in their heads. You used to give them electroshock therapy and put them in the mental hospital. And you guys did that. You did that and then never commented on it. In fact, it wasn't even, even if you wanted to spin some bullshit, like we were commenting about the way that women are like, you know, designated as crazy in society. Yeah. Even if you wanted to spin that PR bullshit, which I work in PR and now you can (laughs) do it. No. No, no, you did not do that. You didn't even begin to acknowledge that that was the thing that you mm-hmm. were touching on at all. I I think this happens in a lot of different aspects on Teen Wolf. Totally. And what is so interesting to me is that we have heard, and I don't really know about this firsthand because I wasn't involved in the Teen Wolf fandom, but we've I've heard that MTV was relatively involved in like engaging with fandom and you know really aware of its existence well i mean like it was the first time that a network like mtv had ever put out anything that created a fandom because in Mm -hmm. the early days of like even mtv producing original content that 
you know, post music television. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of reality TV and it was movies that it was producing. Well, so maybe this explains it, but like when there's massive inconsistencies in things like lore, which we've talked about all the time, mm-hmm. it none of it makes any goddamn sense. There's inconsistencies in lore and in characterization and in just not addressing things that have been like major issues in the past. Like fandoms pay attention to that stuff. Yes. Because it's important to them, because it's a, a property that they have invested time and emotion and energy into. And so to not give your audience the same consideration by providing them with consistency that honestly would be very easy to achieve if you just like kept a running list of what you had introduced as lore mm-hmm. and referring to it. Like it's disrespectful almost to the people who are watching your show and shows a deep lack of understanding of how people engage with television. Yeah. Oh, totally. Well, oh, is anyone going to remember that? That was in season... We remembered. Am I remembering mostly because I had to study this show for podcast purposes? Maybe. But we remembered and we know that other people are remembering too. Mm -hmm. I find it disagreeable um, that the extent to which sometimes we are asked to suspend our disbelief, you know? Because it's a werewolf show. I buy in. Mm -hmm. I'm here for that. Totally here for it. But when you are telling me certain things that you told me the opposite of, you know, not but 12 episodes ago, I'm going to get a little angy. I have no problem suspending my disbelief if there are rules. I, this is like when I watch things with magic systems and there are no rules in the magic system, I'm like, this is not working for me. Oh, I, there are so many shows that I'm like, Turn off. Bye. Be- because I, well, one, it's like, I would like to keep track of what the fuck is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, like, do you, do they not care? That's what I don't understand. No, I mean, I think they do in part care. I think it's a conscious choice to move, keep moving your plot in disregard for, you know, things you've already set up. But, I, and I can understand the business reason for doing that. 100%. And often in the industry, because this is an industry, business reasons will trump your artistic Mm -hmm. integrity. It happens. I know that there is probably a massive amount of network influence that went into some parts of the show. You do not have to be like, well, what if MTV? Yeah, I know. I would know with MTV. I get it. Viacom, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think in certain aspects, it feels obvious that they chose to forego recollecting certain aspects of the show to continue moving on a plot line regardless of its effectiveness or success. Yeah. Um, I completely agree. And I, I think it just, it devolves the further the series goes. It becomes more and more of a problem, not just in like, you know, the consistency of the lore or whatever, but like even consistency in tone. I, that was a complaint that we had with a couple of episodes in 6B is just that the tone felt all over the place, which is something that Teen Wolf has had years to hone mm-hmm. and to understand how they affect it in their episodes. And then like for in the last season to like blow the lead of knowing how your tone is supposed to work Mm -hmm. like that doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me I mean we did observe very big changes in the writer's room at that point yes we did you know so I can see there being a huge juggling aspect again I am not blind to the you know human aspect of the creation of this show Mm -hmm. as an artiste or whatever 
um, you would just hope that it has the power to overcome at least some of the bigger major issues. I don't need everything to be fixed because I understand that you can't ask create like creative endeavors to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, they can't all be Mad Men, you know what I'm saying? But even Mad mm-hmm. Men season five, I'm like, oh. um, there's always that one. There's always that one, yeah. And the fact that it never recovers after its stinker season is hard, you know? Well, it is insane how much better 6A is. And I I was wondering when we were watching it, like, is it so much better because it sits in such close proximity to 5? Or do I really like it? And I think two things can be true, but um, it's crazy how they had that bounce back. Totally. And then 6B happened. Totally. Um, I want to give a little bit of time to 6B, but before we do that, I mean, I think it is time we discuss some of the, like, identity politics Mm. of the show. And we can start with the way that female characters are treated and then expand out, or we can start with some of the, I don't want to say, no, I'll say it like racist aspects of the show. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say that Teen Wolf is intentionally racist. You know, I think that Teen Wolf, like everyone exists in our society and therefore plays in on tropes and, you know, explorations that are ultimately like, offensive towards groups of people so it's really hard for me to be like teen wolf did this teen wolf is racist because they did this i don't necessarily know that teen wolf knew what they were doing was racist mm-hmm. well and that's a hard line to walk but frankly there's a lot of stuff that was not paid near enough attention was not given near enough research stuff that you and i were able to like google in 30 seconds and be like this is how i can articulate why it's wrong mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I think it it starts really early on in season one where you have several, like, unnamed black women who just, like, drop in little nuggets of wisdom, never named, never brought up again. They're there solely to assist the white main characters. Yeah, I mean, the idea that it's, like, sassy black woman has something to say is... Okay. 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 Uh, that's... You're not... Oh, so you're not going to unpack that or make her a character consistent in the show? Because when you look at people like Sydney, who, who is, is named, who is a tertiary character, who comments on things as they happen in the show, you know it's possible, but they never made one of those unnamed black women a character. A, a Sydney. A Sydney, yeah. Even. So um, it, stuff like that it suggests to me that you were like, isn't it funny when black women? No. No, it's, it's not. not. But it, it, it's just like, it, then you have some really excellent, like nuanced, interesting black characters where you have Deaton and you have Morel. Um, and then in the same season, you have Boyd, um, who was so massively deserved as a character. Yeah. Well, I mean, like in terms of like identity politics in the show, like we had um, a black character whose biggest personality was being best friends with a woman who was fridged ding ding yeah Ugh. and then he gets fridged yep for the plot i mean i guess it's not technically fridging he didn't um pro- he didn't actually contribute to any one person's character growth mm-hmm. 
He was killed for convenience, I guess. And so was Erica. To and you know a- what? I have no idea what Gage Golightly was doing at that time. If she needed to be written off the show, could you do it on screen? Mm-hmm. There's, there's, I think, like a, a lack of dignity in a lot of the situations. Whole, I think that's a great way of putting it. Holy, like, inconsiderate of the personhood these people have in your show. And I think Kelly brought this up. About how some of the, like, basically all of the most prominent black characters, with the exception of maybe Corey, are... Mason. uh, Yes. Why do I get them confused all the time? They're together all the time. Yes. They love each other. Mason. Hmm, Now I'm the problem. (laughs) Um, I think Kelly brought this up about how all of the, the biggest, like, names of our black characters in Teen Wolf, there are none who are seen as, like, morally good other than Mason. They're just kind of gray or bad. Yeah. Well, it feels basically to me, and I like the idea of Morel. I think the idea that she is a wholly neutral character is Mm -hmm. very engaging, but they didn't really give her enough screen time. Not at all. But we've already expressed our problems with Monroe. I, I can't be any more clear about how completely irresponsible that was with the writers. Um, I think she's right that, you know, they're either on screen for three seconds or they're not necessarily good. And even Deaton, who we know is on our side, is seen as like this flaky, flighty person who, you know, withholds information. We don't really see any of our black characters as like whole people. Mm -hmm. And that is incredibly frustrating to me. I uh, agree a hundred percent. Um, we didn't, I don't know that we talked about this that much in season five, but like the fact that Mason is the beast because he's purely good or what, like it just being purely good doesn't make him a whole person. And that's frustrating. Yeah. And then deciding that he can be corrupted into the pure evil, pure evil is insidious. Like, what in the world are you trying to say about that? Yeah. And like, and I mean like the sort of relationship that Teen Wolf has with its black characters is not where this line is drawn. Teen Wolf mm-hmm. has a serious issue with uh, appropriating native culture. The idea that it conflates like native culture and Japanese culture is horrifically orientalist. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I mentioned earlier about about um Kira's style, about how they dress her as like a kawaii girl. Yeah. And she's like cute and shy. She's and like cute and shy, bumbling. and she's tiny, and it's very infantilizing. And mm-hmm. I like love Arden Cho. I know why she left the show. I wish that Kira had been a bigger, you know, character. But they did make her a tiny, shy, awkward, like ubu Japanese kawaii girl. Yeah, and that is like operating on stereotypes that, like, obviously, kawaii culture exists in Japan. It exists, you know. As it's proliferated out, but you introduce a Japanese character and that's immediately how you character characterize her is a little bit like, okay, that's okay. I guess you see Japanese women as like tiny. Yeah. I mean, I think Jeff Davis has expressed this, not specifically about like race, but when he was talking about, well, I want to have Beacon Hills being this place that exists outside of prejudice, like I think so many of our issues come down to the fact that Teen Wolf acts like it is operating in a vacuum and that it doesn't have to engage with culture. Exactly. Exactly. And when you say like, oh, uh, you know, because we don't... Basically, when you say that, you know, Beacon Hills is a world that doesn't have prejudice, you are deciding not to acknowledge where prejudice lies, which 
creates a lot of these problems. But And then the issue is that you kind of want to, like, they try to address those problems, but also they don't exist in the world of Teen Wolf. What the fuck is that about? Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Like, I think it's really interesting that Teen Wolf told the story about Japanese internment, one of the least told stories of horrors, like, committed in this country. Like... I didn't really, like, we are not really actually taught all that much about Japanese internment, even mm-hmm. when you take, you know, sit down and you take the AP US history test or whatever. Yeah. You know what happened. You know what part of the country it happened in, and that's basically it. So the fact that somebody is deciding, like, I want to actually explore this really sort of, uh, this aspect of US history that I could swept under the rug for our image is really interesting, but it doesn't mean that you didn't, one, tell a, like, captor victim love story because what's fuck and two it doesn't mean that you didn't already um produce tropes that are harmful towards your japanese main cast it's so frustrating because there's good intentions but the road to hell is paved with good intentions, as they say. Like, Well, it just feels to me a little bit like, well, people were like, well, we're already telling this story. And then because they were patting them, like resting on the laurels of being a really progressive show, which again, mm-hmm. when Teen Wolf came out, was crazy progressive. There were not just like gay characters on teen shows like that. And if there were, it was like a big scandal. Yeah. About how these characters, it was a secret, you know? Oh, a siren. Yeah. This is the Teen Wolf Rewolf. But resting on those laurels made it decide not to examine its own behavior to its detriment. Mm-hmm. And again, I would really love and encourage people listening along to be like, actually, that wasn't my experience watching as this identity because I'm a white woman. So like, I am not trying to speak on anyone's behalf, but watching Teen Wolf and watching as a 2021, 20, 2020 and 20 and beyond viewer, mm-hmm. my expectations of what I want from this stuff are obviously higher but should have been, some of this stuff should have been met in, you know, 2014, 2013, whatever. Yeah, it's just hard when there are, like, contemporary examples of shows that are doing it well, and then you don't put the same consideration into what you're doing. Yes. So we did flip-flop and talk mm-hmm. about race before we talked about gender. <laughs> but they are, obviously, this is an intersectional podcast. Yes. So they go hand in hand. You cannot dissociate the two, but, like... I think it's time we talk about the female characters. I already know that this was a question asked by uh, several, actually, of our observers, question askers of the Wolf Pack. Um, and I know that asking this was slightly flippant of them because I, I know for a lot of them, they know that at the, the in the most, like, basic and, like, bad interpretation of, like, the male gaze... That's the reason why we don't have female characters as the lead characters on Teen Wolf. Mm-hmm. And I think we are now moving out of the part of culture that is like, if we're going to appeal to young women, we have to put young, you know, handsome men on screen. But that has been like a detrimental marketing technique for years. It's the reason why boy bands are popular and girl bands receive no marketing, even though mm-hmm. they would be ho- wholly successful in the markets that you're trying to corner. It is a severe act of sexism because you think that it's going to be like uh, a successful marketing tool for your show. But no, 
as a young girl and even, you know, whatever I was feeling about Allison when I was 16, I really needed to be seeing women in the lead of the things I was watching. And the fact that I was denied that will forever piss me off because as much as I am so freaking excited that that is happening now, I didn't get it. And so I'm a little bitter, but the, the fact is this is not the gripe of, you know, somebody who grew up without that. It's the fact that there are still teenagers watching Teen Wolf who are going and discovering it for the first time, who are probably sitting there being like, why isn't Lydia the main character? You're right. She is a phenomenal... She is phenomenal. I mean, like, in every sense of the word, why would Lydia not be the main character of the show? Yeah, I mean, it's such a failure to deliver because they set up these incredible female characters who have who are incredibly nuanced and who have real personalities and they're real people. And that, I think, is like a huge success. But they are really flattened out for the success of the men. And I know this is kind of a weird comparison to make, but I just finished re-listening to some of these books. And I think like the comparison of the translation of like the Princess Diaries books to the Princess Diaries movies... The Mm -hmm. movies are great. They're delightful on their own. But if you read the books, like, these girls are weird and mean and angry. And they are so, such a beautiful example of, like, what it actually means to be a teenage girl. And then, like, to put it on the screen for, um, you know, the average American teenager, they feel a need to, like, really flatten them out and make them nicer and, um, you know, just make them more palatable. Yeah, it's like the patriarchy in action is like wanting to make women palatable. And the way that Teen Wolf does that is sort of by burying them. Mm-hmm. By not giving them enough to do. but And, and so, it's so frustrating because it's like so tantalizing as a female viewer of this show to be like, oh my God, I feel so seen in Kira. I love her. I think that she is cool as all get out. And so you keep watching. It's almost like I'm being queer baited, but like for women... Like, and you just don't get what you want from her because she's not on screen ever. Yeah. 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 I, I said this, I think in a recent episode about the Olivia shippers. I don't get it, but they're right. God, no, God bless them because you had to have been watching so hard to mm-hmm. get there because yeah. I think that Allison and Lydia have one of the only good, like female, female relationships in the entire show. Mm-hmm. I think it's in absolutely insane that Teen Wolf pats itself on the back for like gay rights or whatever when the only canonical queer characters are a bisexual woman and her lesbian girlfriend who gets sacrificed in a ritual sacrifice. You, women. Queer queer women. Yes, what did I say? You just said queer characters. Oh, so. oh queer women. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yes, queer women. <laughs> Go gay women. Love yes. you. Why were you completely shafted in this show? It is... Yeah, it's so frustrating, particularly because I really like the relationships that the women have to the boys, to the men totally. on the show. Totally. Um, and it really, like, it really feels uh, authentic and not kind of like, oh my God, he likes me. Like, they really love and respect each other. And I just wish that that same consideration was given to the relationships between the women um, and it kind of feels like the show never wants them to be together or if they do their sideline to the C plot of the episode. Yeah. And like we were sitting around waiting for like Lydia and Malia to have a relationship form. And 
it was just sort of thrown together for the purposes of putting them in scenes together in 6B. And I love watching them interact because they're such distinct characters, but you really haven't given me anything to work with. And that is frustrating. No, you're asking me to use so much of my imagination, which is easier with Lydia because I feel like I know her better than I know Malia. Um, And having watched her evolve, it's like, well, of course, this is what her relationship with Malia would evolve to be. But it's like we get to see other people develop relationships, um, but not the women. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny that 6B, like Malia's like sort of behavior in 6B is predicated on her like coming to understand these feelings for Scott as if because, you know, she's always ever just been on the outskirts because she was Styles' girlfriend, but we never get to see the fact that she has to come to terms with the fact that she is friends with Lydia and has these feelings for her platonic or otherwise that she would also have to sort of begin to develop because she they were kept basically at an arm's length for the entirety of Malia's time on the series. Yeah. Uh, it's disappointing I think is the main word that comes to mind. Yeah. So not only are we not seeing any of the women engage in any way that is interesting, not to mention are written out of the show before they could, I would have loved to have seen a world in which Erica could have actually fulfilled some kind of role in this pack or come to know Allison and Lydia in any one specific way. Yeah, she's so one-dimensional, which is infuriating because the crumbs that we get of, like, Erica's life before she becomes a werewolf and this, like, sudden change in confidence, I really wish that we got to see her as more of a dynamic character. I think part of the reason we don't is that she is largely interacting with men being part of Derek's pack. Um, I would have loved there to have been an evolution for her because really the only... I mean. Malia goes through an evolution of just like learning to be a social human person after having been a freaking coyote for eight years. Um, Me too. Which is like impressive. And Lydia grows in her confidence and becomes more of her authentic self. And she evolves and Allison, you know, clearly. But like other female characters feel very static. And for a show that like cares so deeply about men's emotions, which to be clear, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, I, I wish the same consideration was given to the women. And I know that I've harped on about it for a million and one years. But Lydia goes through so much physical and emotional trauma that she never gets to talk about or deal with or act like a human person would. No. And I think that like pretty much every single one of the female characters, we can cite a place in which they should have been taken into more consideration by the writers and I, mm-hmm. I don't even mean just like Lydia and Allison I mean like Victoria I mean Erica I mean Jennifer I mean Morel I mean I mean literally everyone literally I mean Kali I mean uh, all the women um Hayden how dare you create all these interesting women and then just create a blank canvas for Liam to I don't know feel at it is so ridiculous it's so absurd and I hate I hate mostly because there's nothing else to it because certainly this is like a thing that teen girls experience of like I'm not like the other girls which I think Hayden has a serious case of um but like she doesn't ever get to grow beyond that no Ugh. no and I know and I actually think that the 
correct me if I'm wrong, season five stands, but I think a lot of season five stands actually really like Hayden and wanted her to have more. And I, I couldn't speak to it because I literally can't even imagine it, but I think it probably would have been better if Hayden had been a real person. I agree. I agree. You know, and I know Vic- Victoria Morales left the show because I think she had a movie to film. I'm not entirely sure because I don't exactly peruse people's IMDb. But uh, if I were her, I'd be like, yeah, I'm leaving. <laughs> you haven't given me anything to do. I was basically written out of 6A. Well, Why would I want to be here? I mean, I think that that's very similar to what happened with um, Arden Cho, wasn't it? Yeah, so, and I mean, the fact that Arden mm-hmm. Cho's departure from the show is so well documented on social media, one, makes me feel weird because I don't necessarily want to know about anybody's personal, personal life. life. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, tells me that there was not great things happening on that production, and I wish so much that they had honored Kira for the character she was and given Arden Cho that fair shot that she deserved because clearly people liked her Mm -hmm. you know and if you like you it actually just like shows that like you thought your female characters were disposable and that really fucking pisses me off Mm -hmm. um moving on from that because I know it's something that is well documented on our podcast the way we feel about it uh I want to just sort of jump into our very last topic on what doesn't work and that is Teen Wolf's sense of morality and the way that they move the goalpost in what sense are you thinking about that? I think about it in season five. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it in terms of the way that season six B seems to culminate. And this is also a, dis- a greater discussion on six B on whether or not like Scott can kill somebody or whatever. It seems that that is a really rudimentary elementary moral quandary to deal with after everything else we've faced in the show and it's telling me that you don't necessarily have a great understanding of the co- dramatic questions that you've asked in previous seasons. I 100% agree, especially because you have they have been building up to this for so long. At some point, people are going to be extremely disinterested in the question you keep posing and not answering. Um, and I think a lot of that goes back to... Um, them not knowing what to do with Scott because like you want to have this one morally good character on the show I guess who like doesn't compromise his morals but the thing about it is that eventually we all compromise our morals yeah that's like what being a human (laughs) being is about being an adult which is something that Scott is coming to grips with in these last seasons yeah and so the fact that like they are repeatedly asking this question that has an answer Boring. Boring. Do that in season one. Do that in season four. I don't really care. But season 6B. And 6B is a mess all its own that we have well detailed. It is politically bankrupt and frankly not that interesting. It's repetitive and tone deaf. The city noises happening (laughs) are agreeing with me. Um, But that is sort of the greatest example of all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that was like a a really small little coda to put on what doesn't work. Let's get out of this. Let's move on. Let's talk about Teen Wolf's cultural legacy. No shock to anybody. There's a movie. There's We've a, discussed. I can't believe it. I mean, I can believe it. The buzz had been around for a while. So, I mean, obviously fandoms have, like, lingering effects. Like, 
But a lot of fandoms, you know, newer and younger, like younger and older than Teen Wolf, are what people call dead fandoms. And Teen Wolf isn't one of them. You know, I think we realized very quickly at the advent of this podcast that there was still a serious hunger for content for people who wanted to talk about it. And in part, and I think we talked about this, it does have to do with a little bit of a sour taste that 6B left in people's mouths because it kind of left people wanting more where I think that 6A as a natural conclusion to the show would have been like, okay, I'm done. But it's not all that. We can't wholly blame it on, you know, a sort of open ending Right? So what do you think it is that drives this need for this show? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with like a lack of really good teen television. Um, and teen television that takes its audience seriously. I'm on record as being like a fan of Riverdale. Mostly because I just think it's campy. I don't think that I would see myself represented in it as a teen. Um And I mean, like people have pointed out, Riverdale isn't really a show for teenagers. It's a show for adults who like can't be teen shows. Mm -hmm. And you can totally tell. Um, Versus Teen Wolf that like absolutely speaks to an older audience, but is very relatable to teens. Yeah. I mean, I think even subject matter, the amount that which Teen Wolf is allowed to show in terms of body, body horror, Mm does actually lend itself more to like a high school audience than a lot of the CW properties do but you and I both love teen shows we both Mm -hmm. you know it's not exactly our bread and butter because I think you and I are both sort of like I'm a an adult with I am an adult big person taste but it is something that like you do get something out of that you don't get out of a lot of adult shows um and I've tried a lot of other things in the genre. I've talked about watching Sabrina. I've talked about watching Outer Banks. And okay, do you know what? I also, part of what I think it is, yeah, Teen Wolf feels so deeply. It does. I think that's one of the enduring um, things that people love about Buffy. Mm-hmm. Is that Buffy feels so deeply? Every single character on Buffy feels like they just have an endless well of feeling inside of them Mm -hmm. which is what it feels like to be a teen um or even now like as an adult when you have those really bad days like you are an endless well of feeling yeah and I think that like Teen Wolf does such an excellent job of uh exploring how that feels and even if they're doing it from like a supernatural angle you know, like, I, I think about the scene of um, Scott losing control and him not having an anchor because his anchor was Allison. And mm-hmm. he, like, feels so deeply about their breakup and, like, not being able to control himself that he is so lost in that sea. And I think it's super relatable. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was actually just thinking about this in, like, terms of Teen Wolf being able to feel. There, like, the sort of loss of a parent plot line happens in so many teen shows. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, very typical, like, fair. But when I think about, like, big feelings, I think about the fact that we watch Allison scream over her mother's death from behind a window and can't hear it. We can only watch it happen. And it is so visceral and so affecting and it is the huge catalyst for some of her more unsavory behavior because of how hard and heavy she's feeling something like that Mm -hmm. and 
that is so much more interesting to me than uh, grief being used as an angst plot. Mm-hmm. You know, we watch Allison feel that in a really visceral way. I think that Teen Wolf is interested in exploring big feelings and people who want to feel big feelings out of their show are captivated by it. It's also, I think especially for teenagers, it feels like kind of a safe way to explore those really huge feelings. Um, and a non-condescending way, because I think a lot mm-hmm. of these teen shows that we've talked about, even if we like them, do condescend to their audience. Yeah. Well, it's funny because like, this is a therapy term, but like the idea of people co-regulating with you and like, you know, being able to reciprocate emotions and like mirror each other and like have that human interaction because Teen Wolf, despite being a genre show, feels so grounded. Mm -hmm. I think it does feel kind of safe and like you're, you are actually like interacting with those people. Well, I also think in so much of like the other teen shows are so manufactured that you don't actually achieve real catharsis out of them. And I think that Teen Wolf does produce real catharsis. Mm -hmm. Well, like, I don't know. I just think all the time about uh, on Riverdale, Archie fighting a bear. And it's like the one scratch. Yeah. I think, yeah, no, no, no. (laughs) That's a great point because I think Teen Wolf does produce like it raises stakes and then produces outcomes appropriate to the stakes. Not always. Mm -hmm. Again, Teen Wolf doesn't bury their dead. That's very frustrating. But like if someone gets their ass handed to them, (laughs) we see it. Yeah. And that's even if you're not like physically being beaten up, that's relatable. Yeah. And when this comes in terms of like the cultural legacy, people want to feel what Teen Wolf makes them feel. And there's really very little in the market that does anything like that. So of course people keep returning and by market, I mean, genre teen shows, not mm-hmm. like everything else. Like maybe you guys should watch like something else. Um, just kidding. No, maybe watch something else. But <laughs> like in terms of, if you're interested in this genre, there's very little that can replicate what Teen Wolf does. So of course it has this massive cult following. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, necessarily anticipate how big the Twitter following was. I think when we were starting this podcast, ye old us millennials <laughs> were looking at Tumblr being like, there's tumbleweeds here. <laughs> Tumblr, Tumblr weevils or whatever the fuck the error message was. Weevils. Yeah. But like it lived on and is continuing to live on in younger generations in different ways. I remember being on TikTok when I first got on TikTok and seeing Teen Wolf TikToks and being like, oh shit, this is still a big deal. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the coolest responses that we got when we first started this was people who were so excited that like there was a podcast analyzing it from a literary aspect, which is what like if you're involved in, you know, making fan fiction or just like really thinking very, very critically and making TikToks about what you think the symbolism of whatever in Teen Wolf is like you um, I think are looking for other people who are doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think part, and this is just an observation, whatever, I think in its, um, you know, original sort of platforming as a, a show that gathered a following, the Teen Wolf fandom was young. It was mm-hmm. a lot of high schoolers. And it wasn't necessarily producing the most intelligent content, but as people have grown with the show and are still interested in it because it's fun and everyone's hot and I like it, mm-hmm. they are now interested in a more analytical, more um, sort of critical examination of that. And it's mm-hmm. not just coming from us. It's coming from everywhere, mm-hmm. which in our opinion 
if you care about something this much, you have to be critical of it. It's your responsibility. And that is like one thing that I kind of love. Like I love that we have people commenting, being like an observation I think you missed because yeah, of course I'm going to miss it. I'm watching as a singular person. I want to hear what you're observing and how you're being critical of the show. And when we think about cultural legacy, yes, Teen Wolf is getting a movie. Obviously, that is part of a huge fan movement of people who want more. They want more because they're thinking about it in a way that is so big brainy and so, you know, um, careful. Mm-hmm. And I I love knowing that and love seeing it. And ha- love having surrounded ourselves with it a little bit, you know? Yeah, I think it's one of the great joys of fandom in general mm-hmm. and the Teen Wolf fandom specifically. Totally. So normally, where we would do Where Are They Now, we're not going to do that because we know anybody who's <laughs> listening to this podcast knows what... Actually, the funny thing is, is you and I have no idea what the Teen Wolf cast is doing at any given moment because mm-hmm. love and light to the Teen Wolf cast, with the utmost respect, we don't give a shit about you guys. <laughs> Every once in a while, a Tyler Posey Instagram story will swipe on by. Yes. And I'm like, the man has a lot of tattoos. He has a lot of tattoos. Handsome, Seems like he's doing okay. Handsome dude. Would love yeah. would love to grab a beer with the guy, mm-hmm. but that's kind of about it. The, the extent. Yeah. Um like I had no like we were told by the by the Twitter about the Dylan <laughs> O'Brien Taylor Swift music video, which is funny because you're a Swifty and we had to mm-hmm. be told by the Teen Wolf Twitter that that was happening. I uh emotionally am having a really hard time engaging with the re-releases. I, uh, this is not about Taylor Swift and I'm not talking about her. But anyway. Uh, but yes. yeah, I mean, like, we don't have to do that because you guys you guys know where there are and you guys would do a way better job of where are they now in the Teen Wolf Factors <laughs> than we would. So what we're going to do is now start digging in to our listener Q's and O's. Christian, this episode is almost two hours long. Yeah, well, that's the final one and you guys asked these questions. You so. have a fast forward button. You have a fast forward button. Do whatever button. you want. I will not be putting the timestamps. You figure <laughs> it out. Um, Share with your friends. So as many of you guys know, we were asking the Wolf Pack, our wonderful listeners, our friends, we're friends at this point, by the mm-hmm. way, um, for their questions and observations about the series as we move forward. It's do- it's no longer the Christian and Julia show. And it is our podcast, Bugs Bunny Communist Meme. You guys delivered. Oh, you delivered. Such good question. Yeah. I'm so excited to dig into this. So, Julia, let's crack into it. Let's start with these Q's and O's for the final time on the Teen Wolf Way Wolf. Hit me. Let's do it. Okay, so for clarification, we've written down everybody's um, Q's and O's by name. And so we're just I'm just going to go down my list that I made it. on my Google Doc. Okay, so Matthias would like to know what our expectations are for the movie. And there's some, you know, s- subtitles, mm-hmm. sub bullets underneath that. Do we think Theo is finally going to be in the pack? Will we ever learn what happened to Kira? Does Scott become a punk rocker? And what character do we want to come back? I can repeat those, but... Okay, those well, are questions. first and first mostly, just based on what I was seeing from Cody Christian's reaction on um, social media, I'm not sure if Theo is had immediate consideration when they were pitching this movie. I would love to see him back. I'm not really sure. There's nothing that's telling me other than otherwise. Also, he is he's on a CW. Busy. Well, he's on a CW show, which takes up pretty much your whole life because it's mm-hmm. a 23 episode season. So that's a really long time. I would love to see Theo back. I know you would love to see Theo back. Big fan. I can't speak to whether or not Cody Christian's schedule will allow it or whether or not they're considering bringing him back for the show. I would hope that they would. What was the next one? Uh, do, will we ever learn what happened to Kira? 
Um, actually, knowing that Will, huge fan huge, of Kira, Kira is Will's favorite character, and knowing that Will is working on the movie, friend of the podcast, Will, <laughs> Will Wallace, um, friend of being our friend, I like to think. Uh, knowing that Will is working on the movie, I would like to think that we will either find out or see more of Kira. That also, again, depends on what Arden Cho is up to and whether or not she'd be willing to return. I personally would love to see her. I loved seeing her on like the sort of like reunion, whatever Mm -hmm. thing that happened over quarantine. Um, But I couldn't tell you from speculative, like just being speculative. I think that we will hear at least something about her because Will is writing. Yes. I mean, given the like band back together reunion of the final couple episodes of 6B, I think if they didn't name drop her, it'd be weird. Yes. Um, what was the next one? Does Scott become a punk rocker? I... Okay, we keep saying this, and we said this to Will, so maybe, you know, it... Our our lips to the Teen Wolf God's ears, I want him to at least show up with his tattoos. It would be so weird and infantilizing if they didn't let them just be adults in the new movie. Mm-hmm. It's been six years or whatever, so... They're fully grown people. Yeah, let it He's happen. He's like 30. Yeah. Um, I, he doesn't have to be a punk rocker, but I hope we see the tattoos. And also if he plays a little bit of guitar, we're cool with that too. Yeah. I mean, Scott really wanted to be a vet and considering that he doesn't get a lot of his like academic desires, I want that for him. Yes, I agree. Is my desire. Um, what character do we really want to come back? Uh, Isaac. Yeah. Like, it's kind of, <laughs> it feels a little, like, sort of fangirlish crush to be like, oh, I want Daniel Sharman to come back because mm-hmm. I do have a fangirl crush on him. Daniel, hi. Um, but I think that he was, out of all of those people in three, in season three, that sort of didn't get what I wanted out of them, he's the only one who can come back. Mm-hmm. And I loved his relationship with Scott. I think it would be really interesting to reevaluate their relationship without Allison. I'm so sad that we didn't get to see more of his relationship with Allison. Also, he likes fighting with his claws, and I think that's fun. Very sexy of him. And I also just mentioned that my other character would be <laughs> Theo, so. Yeah, I personally would love to see the return of Derek, but only if he's accompanied by Brayden. Brayden. Oh, um, I love her so much. I love Brayden. I didn't realize how much I was missing this until he shows up in the final episode, but I would really love to see Derek and Scott like having a relationship when they are both adults. Mm-hmm. I would think that would be really great. Um, yeah. I mean, we're also saying this like operating under the idea that like the main cast is coming back. So like Lydia, Scott, Styles, Malia. Mm-hmm. I just assume like Liam. Mm-hmm. So all of the proliferate characters there. And then, you know, obviously this is like a returning thing. Um, I want to give a shout out to Matthias for being one of our, our longest listeners, like one of our OG listeners. We loved hearing that you submit your questions and observations. We're so happy to have you in the wolf pack. And, uh, we, uh, mm-hmm. we look forward to keep hearing, he keep hearing from everybody, you know, again, yeah. like we made friends for this podcast and I, I'm not, that doesn't, that's not lost on me. So Not at all. Well, we actually have a few more questions for Matthias. Well, okay. Well, then that was premature. <laughs> yeah. Um. Will Julia finally start a Riverdale podcast? No. No. Because Christian won't do it with me. And also, um, I don't have anything to say about Riverdale. That is how Julia turns her brain off. And I keep my brain running by not watching it. So. Yeah. Um, it's just like fish tank noises. Riverdale is my fish tank. I I watched the first like eight episodes and was like, oh, I'm done forever. It's absurd. Um, And then uh, 
which Teen Wolf character would you want to be your roommate? Melissa, obviously. My roommate. Mm hmm. Lydia. That's fair. Well, I also, there's just like, I'm, I, I think that we'd be particular in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Also Malia though, because all of my friends think that I'm the Malia of our friend group. So I feel like maybe we'd, I think it's the jean shorts. (laughs) The jorts. The jorts. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe Malia just because we might vibe, but. Excellent. Yes. Okay. So this is a question that was sort of posed by Matias and also Rachel, um, where they were asking us. Hi Rachel. Um, hey. Um, so basically since we first started watching it between now and then between then and now how have our like views of the world changed how have our views of our of the world like impacted the way that we feel about teen wolf have our feelings towards teen wolf changed i mean that's a great question coming from both of you um and we've heard such you know interesting and 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 differing opinions from both matias and rachel as we've as we've gone through the show so that's been helpful um and I would actually be interested in both in what they think from what I as somebody who watched at the beginning have gone through mainly my biggest markers of change have been the mat- like the maturing of my own ability to deconstruct media mm-hmm. and then paired with sort of the changing social fabric of the world which has changed exponentially since I was in high school when the show aired. So I am far more critical of Teen Wolf um, as a result of my education, of my interest in criticizing media, of my um, restructured political identity, which like even like in high school, like it's funny, like I said, like restructured political identity. In high school, I was like sort of known as like this you know, liberal girl, but now mm-hmm. I would never be caught dead identifying as a liberal because I identify as a leftist. Sure. So like to some people that change doesn't seem all that drastic, but to me mm-hmm. it does. And just my own maturing as a person has changed the way that I watch anything from my youth. But I think that also makes me appreciate Teen Wolf more as being one of the things that triggered that change as far mm-hmm. as my relationship to media goes. Interesting. I would echo some of that. Although, of course, as I've stated, I watched this for the first time when I was 23. I think the biggest difference between then and now, um, besides the fact that I lived through, you know, the Trump presidency uh, and a pandemic, is the fact that I didn't binge it the second time. Mm -hmm. And I think that I have a much harder time being critical of things that I am binging because I don't take any time to pause and reflect between episodes on like things that I think worked or things that kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like ready for the the next bit of content. And, you know, with Teen Wolf, like it's really fast paced and, you know, there's mysteries that you want to get to the bottom of. So I think that, um, you know, I was just able to take a little bit more time to think about what worked for me and what didn't. Oh, yeah. I mean, in terms of like, not just time, but like practice. Mm, yeah. This is, well, a lot of the, the opinions I came in with, but it's making me be so much more specific with why I feel those things. Mm-hmm. You know, and ultimately like, it's been realized there's also been things that I've, you know, thought about Teen Wolf and after further 
examination realized that my defense was faulty because I was asked to think about it so much harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with you on the not binging thing. I was never really binging when the show was coming out because I was watching it as it aired. But I binged six, like the rest of five and six because I skipped it. Oops. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that was something that I now had to watch through a slower time frame. And the demand of the podcast where I all of a sudden had to not only think my thoughts, but articulate them to people and to comment on yeah, is a far more engaged way of watching a show. I'm anti-binge, as you well know. Mm-hmm. The don't binge things. I think it's a really ineffective way to watch TV. It's not very efficient. Um, and this has been a really big brain exercise for me. And it's funny because when I tell people I have a Teen Wolf podcast, they're like, that's so fun and cute and adorable. And I'm like, you would not believe the amount of thinking <laughs> I have to do to do it. Far too much. So much. So it's been a really good exercise for me personally. It's tested my ability to analyze things. And it's also reframed the way in which I approach things to analyze. So that in itself is great, I think, mm-hmm. as far as personal growth goes. And as my relationship to the show goes, my opinion will always be maturing with me. In 10 years, I'm not going to have the same opinions I had when I was doing this podcast. And I think that that's appropriate for how everybody consumes media. Yeah. A very cool thing about like growing up. Yeah. Because I'm still doing that. Yeah. Um, you know, I <laughs> I reread books and I'm like, why, what, what did this mean to me at every age and why? And I think that that's an important thing to analyze. Totally. Um, Amanda added a little caveat to that question. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Um, which was, what do you think might be different about the show and how would you have done it in today's context of the world? Thinking especially of the Trumpian allegory of 6B. And I want to be honest in saying that I think if they had wa- if they wanted to do the 6B plot line, I don't think the four years of context would have changed it. I don't think so either. Even though we both feel like we are like, well, I now have a far greater, you know concept of what we're up against politically I now understand not understand in the way where I get it but have like a human sort of idea Mm -hmm. of where the you know other side is coming from that is something that like it takes a lot of effort to do and I don't necessarily think could pass like a writer's room honestly and that's not that sounds so insidiously condescending, but like, no, what I really mean to say is like when you are producing content, you do sometimes have to simplify things to make sure things make sense, to make sure they're not overly convoluted or complicated. I don't necessarily know if you could reproduce 6B to any more or less intelligent thought. I think it will take an exceptional exceptional amount of time and time removed from this era in our lives to be able to produce something like that. Um, yeah. I just think it's really difficult to make effective commentary when you are living in it, especially when you're coming at it from the genre of like a teen show. And not to say that like teen shows cannot engage with like a difficult real world concepts, but when you don't have the benefit of like time and reflection, um, I think it leads to like really broad strokes. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And like not to mention you had 10 episodes, Uh, which is like, if any season should have been 20 episodes focusing on a, the same plot, I would have hated it because it would have been really uncomfortable. But, like, you could have done more. 
And also, they said the same thing over and over again for 10 episodes. Yeah, I mean, 6B's problems are a lot more than just the political issue. It's, like, a general, like, incompetency in, like, structure and, like, schedule. Yeah. Um, What was the other half of that question? Oh, just how would you have done it differently? How would I have I'm- done it differently? I honestly wouldn't have. I think that, mm-hmm. like I said, that would have been something where I would have been like, I think we can engage in ideas of what's happening, but I would not have tried to structure a season to allegorize what was happening like politically to us at that time, especially when I think that at... I- okay, just quick question for you personally. Me personally. First years of the Trump presidency, what were you consuming? And was it all just like a lot of it was escapism? Yeah, total. Uh, I have I have watched Gilmore Girls four times through. I'm pretty sure two of two of those times were in like the middle. of That, that. was the first time I started like my Mad Men rewatch, and mm-hmm. you're like, Christian, weren't the 1960s terrible? <laughs> yeah, but, but a that different was, kind of yeah, terrible. different kind of terrible. <laughs> it was way better to be like, ah, oh, wasn't the past terrible instead of the current reality I'm currently suffering through? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think that it was ill-timed. And as far as 6B goes, I we are pretty adamant that I think that 6A should have been the finale. The finale. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I would not have, uh, I wouldn't have done it differently mm-hmm. because I don't think season 6B should have happened at all. Um... This is a question that I have been at really excited to talk about from Abigail. And she asks us, what character and plotline in the show do you think had the most wasted potential? And I can think of a few, actually. I mean, I think it's maybe even... I think some people would think it was unfair to say Lydia. But I think, again, there's no reason that's why she's not the main character. She's exceptional. I agree. Um, she's very underserved in a lot of it and relegated to a really, like helpless being Mm -hmm. in a lot of season five um my biggest gripe and my biggest character issue Deaton I like him so much and perhaps I was setting myself up for failure because when I watched it for the first time I was like oh clearly this is the Giles character of Mm -hmm. Buffy fame and Giles is in like every freaking episode of Buffy he's there all the time he's always providing guidance but it is so insane to me that he disappears for such long stretches at a time that they don't go to him for advice because as soon as we learn what emissaries are, we understand that Deaton is Scott's emissary. Yes. And if that's the role that he fulfills, like why is he not more active? I don't know why Teen Wolf doesn't accept that phones exist. You could call people. You could FaceTime. You don't have to FaceTime. You know what? Like I think about this like, okay. Uh, in the first couple seasons of Supernatural that are actually good before Supernatural falls off a cliff, uh, they call Bobby all the time. Mm-hmm. They just call Bobby because they have phones <laughs> and they can call their Bobby and like Bobby. Deaton would effectively be their Bobby, right? Yeah. Because Bobby is the Giles of Supernatural mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. De- Deaton has like so much knowledge and also the fact that Deaton like goes off to find answers and he's not like calling with updates every once in a while. What's that about? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. I, yeah. I think Deaton is frustrating. I think we are full in full agreement with Will when it comes to Kira being mm-hmm. a character who needs to be have so much more investigation into like everything about her. Like you really created like the most powerful character on the show and we're like, and now she's in the underworld bye. Yeah. And I I find Arden Cho's performance really great. I love what Seth she's Gillum so is doing. Charming. Like yeah. every every person who is really underserved. I think I feel that way because the actors are doing such a good job. Yeah. And like, you know, we already talked about Isaac, but like 
a lot of what we like about Isaac is the potential for really interesting character development. And then we're frustrated when like they sort of write him off in weird joke ways in Mm -hmm. season three. But like there was room for Isaac to be somebody who seriously challenged Scott, who seriously had good character growth, who after Allison's death could have really, you know, made strides as a character. And we were kind of like, again, Daniel Sharman had to go be a Medici or whatever, but like, Mm -hmm. I wanted more from that. And mostly I think when we look at these characters, it is like a question of like potential versus delivery. I agree. A hundred percent. I think Malia needed more. Yeah. My, my biggest issue with Malia in general is that there is no way that she would be as socially developed as she is. And like, yes, she struggles, but like there is no way she would be cognitively where she's at having mm-hmm. been a, wolf, a coyote for eight years mm-hmm. and they were like I choose not to see it and that's fine but it it just I think inhibits her yeah character development I would have loved to have seen more from Mason that mm-hmm. other than being like purely good than purely evil than Liam's friend than Corey's mm-hmm. boyfriend and Corey just being Mason's boyfriend like I think that that was an underdeveloped relationship especially because mason is so loyal to the pack that's why mason is so compelling yeah like when kylan rambo's on screen you're like this guy's great (laughs) i love watching him he's a magnet like yeah he has excellent screen presence um and like i guess you can write off his like commitment to the pack being the way that he loves liam which is fine but you don't get that invested unless you also have, like, an investment in Scott and Lydia. And I wish we could have seen more of, like, their interactions. Well, yeah. It's also interesting that, like, we see Mason's interactions with Liam and understand that. And see his, really, his interactions with Corey and understand that. But beyond that, the only other person he gets, like, screen time alone with is Theo. And it's once. So, yeah. Frustrating. I think a I lot want of- so many scenes between uh, Mason and Lydia mm-hmm they're the two smartest people on the show oh god god it would be great especially if it was sort of a like contentious dynamic of trying to one-up each other god why oh god it's a great idea <laughs> hold on for the movie i think they should be like frenemies <laughs> frenemies yeah um okay i think that wraps i i mean like we've talked about characters like mm-hmm. i would love to have erica to have been a character you know yeah i would have loved cora to have been a character you know, I think in terms of biting off more than they can chew, Teen Wolf did that a lot. Yeah. Um, she also asks, season five, do we think Hayden would have worked better as a character if she was introduced as a side character the same time as Liam and Mason? I think we kind of covered this in that she's just not a character at all. Well, no. I mean, like, she's really more introduced in... She's a five character, not a four character. Mm-hmm. And I think the question is, like, would she be better if she was introduced at the time? Honestly, I think that season four is so overwhelmed that... I don't know if they would have even given attention to her then. That said, it would have been nice to have slightly more substance before Mm -hmm. we moved into five because then I wouldn't have been so um, appalled by her lackluster of character development thanks to the writers. So Yeah, I mean, I wish we knew about her, but like I just don't, I don't see what they were expecting from her as a character and I don't know if that would be fixed by an earlier introduction. And I will say honestly after four there aren't a lot of new characters sans Theo who get enough for us to care because again even Corey is like whatever. Mm -hmm. There's pretty much no one introduced in either of the sixes that makes me think this was a good character. Yeah. So I think that 
I don't even think she was introduced too late. I think a competent writing team would have been able to introduce her and do well. But no, I, I don't really know if there's anything you do. True. Um, well, this is another question about female characters. Um, she asks, would Malia have existed if Cora hadn't left the show? Which I think is so interesting because a lot of people ship Styles and Cora. They do. I sometimes feel like that's a proxy for Steric. Sure. Absolutely. Um... That's a good question. I mean, I think that if you have the two are like sort of the have competing energies insofar as being like not very nice girl characters, I mm-hmm. would have loved to see them interact. Honestly, they are cousins. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I think that you there is totally merit to say that after Cora left the show and I have no idea why Adelaide Kane left. I don't know if they wrote her out or if she has to be written out or whatever. I'm not sure when Rain started, but I think that might have been it um i think that there is a serious uh i think you're onto something to say that they needed to fill the gap mm-hmm. um again i'm not being i'm i'm not speculating what's happening in the in you know yeah I, we don't know this whatever, is all speculation but i have you know thoughts and ideas that i'll share mm-hmm. okay so neve has both an observation and a discussion topic question for us. Cool. Hit us with your observation, Neve. Um, she said, some of the best moments in the show are between the female characters. Anytime they let Lydia, Kira, Malia, Allison speak to each other, the, su- the show is suddenly way better. And we definitely talked about this um, earlier in the episode. Um, and it's clear that lots of other people were really hungry for that representation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That was her observation? Yes. What was her question? Yes, it was. Um, so this is very similar. Good um, observation. Neef. It was. Um, it would be fun to hear if you guys had alternate storylines for 6B, which we kind of already approached. But um, she also says, I think a better approach to a similar theme would be for the pack to finally be confronted with the effects that the supernatural antics has had on Beacon Hills. Not in an angry mob kind of way, but just looking around and seeing beyond their own experiences. Maybe we could have a fun AU episode where Lydia shows Scott a world where he was never turned into a werewolf and he has to decide if it was all worth it. Okay, one, I think something that Teen Wolf is desperately lacking is um, Monster of the Week episodes. Mm-hmm, yeah. I think Teen Wolf is one of the only shows that would have benefited from uh, going from a plot show into a Monster of the Week episode show instead of a Monster of the Week episode show going to a plot show. Gotta call up Russell T. Davies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> truly. Um, Neil Gaiman, I have a, an opportunity. <laughs> beep, beep, beep. Yeah. Answer the phone. Um... When it, yeah, I think that Teen Wolf would have, I would have loved an It's a Wonderful Life episode, which I think is kind of what you're mm-hmm. describing. Um, I think that that would be really compelling. I think that it would have been a great moment for Scott character development, especially in a later season where he's really not having a lot. When it comes to how we would deal with 6B, you're right. The angry mob is really frustrating, especially as we have already discussed. The idea that this is coming from a supernatural, like inorganically as like a sort of supernatural magical force over the town and not just like the progressive like rise of fascism mm-hmm. is frustrating because if you're going to tell that story, you have to actually, you got to fucking commit. I'm sorry. Like show me what's happening in the town that gets us to this point. I don't really like the Anukate is such a non-entity. You could tell that story and have it just be. Yeah, actually this is where I'm going with this. If you <laughs> wanted to do a six B story, no supernatural elements, none. Mm-hmm. You just have to make it like the town reacting to what's happened to them. You have to start laying the seeds in four during the Deadpool 
make it come to a rise after five there can be no 6a if you want this to happen and 6a can complete the series like you have to flip-flop the two and then it has to be an actual investigation and interaction with what happens when people's fears are validated and exploited to the point where fascism rises rises in the community that -hmm. would be a good 6b but the way that they did it was so blasé and anti-intellectual and like this is you know it feels like they're being like well this happens only when there is a supernatural presence around which is fucking bullshit and like an absolute massive um band-aid over the fact that they've never dealt with it before in the show which they should have had to have previous Mm -hmm. so the solution to 6b is to do it but do it the right way (laughs) i mean i agree i i think the the better approach would it would be for it to be more reflective because we've never reflected on really like the full effects on Beacon Hills. I think it could be relatively quiet. That's one of the things that I really liked about 6A is that so much of it was just like quiet. Yes. Um, Tiny cast. Tiny cast. Very quiet. I think that like actually having to be confronted with the destruction that you have caused despite the fact that you were trying to do good is like very you know compelling um and I the the problem with 6b is that like the show wants us to empathize with Monroe at least a little bit because she has clearly suffered but they didn't do it right and so like I I think reflection is like due and possibly earned for like the citizens of Beacon Hills, but we've never engaged with them before. So like, it just doesn't seem appropriate. Yeah. Shoehorning the story in at the end just to, you know, make some sort of comment on the state of the country is like, no, I mean, I agree. Fascism is bad, but could you do that in a smarter way? <laughs> yeah. Um, like okay. I, I too am suffering under <laughs> the you know regime, but yeah. Um, Okay, so moving on. Yeah. Um, Lindsay Denton's Sandwich. A Twitter name I see every day, but I've clicked on that profile. I have no idea what your name is. Tell us, but and it we'll tell everyone else. Really makes us laugh. Yeah. Um, uh, their question is, how the fuck did Peter bring himself back to life, and why the fuck did no one ever bring it up again? Everyone's just like, oh, haha, just Peter things. Well, the funny thing is, is like, Scott has this huge, like, Lazarus moment at the end of Five, mm-hmm. and everyone's like... He came back, he to, came back to life as if Peter didn't have Lydia perform like advanced necromancy that we never talk about ever again. Peter. Okay. This is like, I think just kind of a problem that they wrote into the show is that like Peter is so unbelievably smart and powerful Yeah, that like they have to ignore some of the things that he did. Otherwise he would just crush everybody. Yeah. Like they have to give Peter like all the, like all of a sudden like Peter at the beginning is like weirdly all powerful. And then they have to give him like gaps in his knowledge so that he doesn't uh, change the trajectory of the entire show. Any second he's on screen. Yeah. Um, I love that that happens. I wish it remained part of Teen Wolf lore. I think early Teen Wolf, like, dark, sort of dirty. I think Teen Wolf used to be dirtier, you know, when people were fucking buried. Yeah, dark dark early Teen Wolf dirty lore is far more compelling to me than 
Yeah. I think that the early scuba suit dread doctors, the early magic was way more interesting to oh, me. Well, there was also a lot more magic. Like yeah. the magic basically it's written out of the show. Mm-hmm. No one's like, like the nine herbs kind of, but no one's doing like spells anymore. Yeah. Like the, the wild hunt is just part of the supernatural world. It's not like witchy. It's not like magical. Well, it like even the Nogitsune has to be summoned down by mm-hmm. Nishiko. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's, I miss I miss, I miss magic. Yeah, I miss magic. Yeah. Um, any other questions? Any yeah, other observations? There are um, there are quite a few, actually. So Hell yeah, <laughs> I'm not done talking. Tommy says, I'm interested in the corruption of Alpha Scott, how since the one episode in season four with the chemist, Scott started changing physically and mentally as an alpha. You can notice his eyes darken and his fangs are more monstrous at specific times if you pay attention. This is just evidence to me that they like were going to do something with Scott and then didn't. Yeah, and I think I remember Tommy... DMing us this before, hi Tommy, um, and me being like, "Oh, I'm gonna be on the lookout for it." But it did happen in season four and was dropped, and that's infuriating because what he's onto would have been a really, really smart and interesting thing to investigate. But instead of making him the corrupt person in season five, they made it Styles for I don't know scapegoat reasons, the for their Superman type, you know, morality reasons, but. I've always said this. Wouldn't it be interesting if Scott was the one to kill Donovan? And that would have been the perfect time to discuss the exact corruption that Tommy is talking about. Well, because honestly, it's kind of boring to me because I have all we have already seen Styles be corrupted and that was supernatural. But like Styles has always been the one who's like, well, wouldn't it just be easier to kill that guy? Mm -hmm. Styles can be corrupted and Styles does live in a morally more of a gray world than Scott does. And so it's like fundamentally uninteresting to me to like play into what might he do? It's like, what might Scott do? Yeah. The incorruptible guy. I agree. And like I said this before, like season five completely bails on some of the questions that four is asking and is four a perfect season no it's a disaster i have no idea what happens but it's very fun at a great time at a great time but it's asking these really big questions about you know what does it mean to take a life what would you do if like you know what would you take a life for Mm -hmm. and to have these questions being asked and then to have scott turn around being like no i'm Jesus or whatever is so boring. Whatever. And I am saddened by the fact that we didn't investigate. Well, you know, when that was pointed out to me, I did start looking and I was like, his eyes are darker. He he does Mm -hmm. have more bottom fangs. And then it went bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. So... Tommy, I too am invested and interested in that corruption. Too bad the Teen Wolf writers weren't. Ding. Ding. Um, okay, this question is from Charlie. They ask if you could each change one plot point or insert your own plot change, what would it be? Um g- I would do six B after four, skip five, and then do six A. I agree. Um I nothing changes. Like pretty much none of none of the plot changes. I really don't know how this would affect the greater plot. I just hate Dr. Valak. Uh wanted to delete him in general. Okay, hold on, hold on, him. hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, Dr. Valak, listen to me, yeah. and just, I want you to react, just let it happen, <laughs> Will Schuster. No. Right? <laughs> right? Right? It's no. the hair. It's the hair. It's the hair. But, like, and the war crimes. In the war crimes, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Valak, Matthew Morrison, cannot dissociate them in my mind. Get rid of that guy. Ew, yuck. 
bad. Trigger warning. Trigger Matthew warning <laughs> to Glee fans. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. No, Sorry, no, I'm going to have a nightmare. But you, you know I'm right. <laughs> I know. That's the worst part. Oh, God. <laughs> such bad Will Schuster vibes. Sorry, could you continue what you were saying? Sure. I just have another question from Meggie, and this is a fun one. Does Styles know that his girlfriend got shot? No, the Tino Fighters actually forgot. That's why she's walking around. Yeah, that's also why Melissa is walking around yep. for major surgery. They forgot. Um, moving on. Emma asks, um, how do you think 6A would have gone if someone else was taken during the wild hunt? For example, if it was Lydia or Scott instead of Styles? I think it really could only be Scott. I think, well, I think it could be Lydia, but it would be a season that was entirely centered around Styles. Mm-hmm. Which would Which have been is, good, but obviously impossible because Dylan O'Brien was going through it. Mm-hmm. Um, Rip. Love and light. Um, yeah, I think it could have been Scott, but honestly, at that point, Scott is so devoid of personality and Kira is gone. So his biggest romantic interest is gone. I think it would be really hard. You would have to center the whole thing about Styles and Liam. I think that could have been a really excellent way of like bringing Scott back into being a person. Totally. Actually, you're right. I think it would have been interesting. I don't think they could execute it. No. <laughs> but I do the think the story of I think they life. could execute the the Lydia thing, but the unfortunate thing is is they already shafted her in season 5 by tucking mm-hmm. her away in Eichenhaus. It would have been boring and ultimately like not really great. I think the best part about 6A is that she becomes a main character. Yeah, she gets to do all that incredible work. Um, which is so fun to watch. Yeah. So those are the only two it would probably work with. Mm-hmm. I, Maybe Liam, but probably not. It has to be one of the core three, I th- I think. Yeah. Because like of the, the original. originals. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. So what Amanda asks, hey Amanda, what do you think every character's top Spotify artist of the year is? Which, by the way, Spotify wrapped coming out. Very soon. Tag us if we are your most listened to podcast. Yes. We will share it. Um, oh, I said this to you. Um, mm-hmm. Scott's is Post Malone. Obviously. Styles is um, a rock band from Greta like... Greta Van Fleet? No, I don't think he likes Greta Van Fleet. I feel like that's a little too like 70s throwback for him. I feel like Styles is, is a rock band from like seven years ago. I feel like he's probably listening to like the Black Keys or the Arctic Monkeys still. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, hmm. Lydia was getting like Lana Del Rey vibes. Yeah, I, maybe Lana Del Rey vibes. I feel like Lydia could be one of those weird people who's like, actually, I listen to classical music. I love classical music. I know you do. Um, hmm. Although, if we're saying like, yeah, maybe Lana Del Rey. I feel like she could be like a pop queen vibe, like vibe. I feel like she mm-hmm. could have like a zesty blend of like, yeah. Beyonce and she is eclectic taste. Yeah, Lady Gaga, whoever. What, what about Malia? Uh, I like the idea of Malia like listening to like a lot of grunge. I feel like her dad looks like kind of some guy who peaked in like the <laughs> late nineties, so she's probably listening to like Pearl Jam and like Dave Grohl adjacent. Yeah, like yeah. definitely Nirvana, Foo Fighters. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's a grungy. She's a grungy lady. Yeah, excellent. Um, and then Amanda also asks if Styles made Lydia a playlist freshman year, what would be on it? And if Scott made one for Allison, what would be on it? Freshman year. So 20, 2011. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. For fuck's sake. 
Now I gotta think okay, about so it now we real. have to think about what was happening in 2011. <laughs> hold on, hold I on. I legitimately um, don't know, actually. I just we, don't remember. Let, let's just like pick a, a song or two. Um, I feel like Fireflies by uh, Owl City would, would be not, on one of them. <laughs> you would not believe your eyes. You would not believe your eyes. Um, oh, God. I... Ugh. I don't remember any music from that. I mean, I do. And if I looked, I'd be like, well, here's mm-hmm. the thing. When I think about like 2010, 2011, 2012, I think about like the pop dance music, mm-hmm. you know, that got played at like our high school dances and stuff. I mean, I think about mixes that were made for me, like yeah. by oh, other people. You know what? Um, I think that um, there would have been some Lord on there. Some Lord, some Young the Giant, I think. Yeah. 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 I think Lord. I think like all of those like big you know, albums of, like, our youth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think whatever playlist Scott made for Allison would be exactly the number of songs it would take to spell out her name with each letter it of would the be an, song. It would be an acrostic poem. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the first and one- <laughs> Allison, it would be A-Punk, obviously. Yeah. Because it was 2011, so it would mm-hmm. be some Vampire Weekend. Totally. Yeah. Um, an acrostic playlist. An acrostic playlist. <laughs> what would Lydia's be? Um, but if Lydia made Styles a playlist, no, or no, no. If Styles made Lydia a playlist, what would be LB. I don't know. I mean, I feel like Styles wouldn't put Styles would be like Lydia would like this song, and then it's just all songs that he would think Lydia would like, and not things that would like express how he felt about her. Yeah, but just things I think Lydia would like this. I think yeah, yeah, it'd be cute. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I will maybe do some research on what I was listening to in high school. Amanda, if you want to make us these playlists, yeah. we'll listen. I was I what what concerts were you seeing in high school? I didn't go to a lot of concerts in high school, actually. I saw the Killers, I saw Kate Nash, I saw Ben Folds. Um most notably you know. I saw My Chemical Romance, which That's was great. um the best concert I've ever. Oh, been to. actually, you know what? My favorite Ben Folds song hmm. is called The Luckiest. Hmm. And that would be this the song that styles would give to Lydia. Nice. It's like one of my favorite songs. What do we think? Uh, CD or flash drive? Uh, CD. Because I never, nobody ever gave me a flash drive. I was always getting CDs. When was the last mm-hmm. time somebody burned you a CD? Uh, it had to be a high school. Mine was my freshman year of college. I'm almost a hundred percent. I actually know pretty sure my partner, my freshman year of college made me one, but my um, dearest friend Annie burned me a copy of Fun's first album oh. as like our graduation. Presents. Oh my god! Okay, whatever the Styles Lydia playlist is, the Fun. Gambler is on it. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, I need them to reunite. reunite. Yeah, my my freshman year of college, somebody burned me a copy of Sam's Town by the Killers, and I've Oof. always thought that was great. Yeah. Um. Okay. And then these next these next two questions kind of go hand in hand. And this last one from Amanda says, um, two characters who never got to interact that you wish had and how you think it might have gone. Liam and Isaac. We've already talked about this. Liam and Isaac. Actually, I want to add a little caveat because I know that they've met each other very, very vaguely. But I want an extended Derek Theo scene. Oh, yeah. I want to yeah, see it. Totally. Because I think Derek would be like, who is this punk? Yeah. And then I think to all the people who ask about, like, Malia meeting Cora. Yes. I think a horrific Hale family reunion is necessary. Just like the world's worst barbecue. Just absolutely horrible. Yeah. Nobody brought any food. It's just beer and everyone's having a bad, <laughs> bad time. time. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Danny, our bingo winner, our big supporter. Hi, Danny. Hi, Danny. We adore you. Um... She asks, if we could bring back one character, 
alive or dead for the last few episodes of the series, who would it be? Like to be there for the like, Jackson's here and Derek's here. I think so. I feel like we kind of answered that earlier mm-hmm. with Isaac. Um, I wish that they didn't kill Deucalion. Yeah. Like, freaking obviously. Um, a lot of people just die. I would I would say hmm. that I wish Deucalion had made it to the end and had had a bigger part in 6B. I agree. I totally agree with that. I think Deucalion was shafted. Um, and then, oh, I wish the Calaveras came back. Oh, my God. Actually, this was The Calaveras that- would have been a great part of 6B. This was something that I wanted to say when we were having that conversation about Scott, um, you know, being like incorruptible or whatever. And the Calaveras tell him they like point blank threaten him to his face when you kill someone or when you turn when you turn someone will come after you. And then he turns Liam and they're like, oh, where are they? Mm hmm. Where are they? Where are they? Yeah. That would have been great. Yeah. Um, Yvonne Call was busy, I think, doing Jane the Virgin at that point. So. She's great. God, I she's so her. captivating. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But those are our um Also, listener- Nishiko. Actually, Nishiko and Kira. Mm-hmm. Also, um, Kira's dad, whose name I don't know. Mr. Yukimura. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's great that I don't know the dad's name. I love knowing Nishiko's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, just it's safe to assume that if you're asking us about a character we wish was there and Kira isn't there, Kira is that character. Yes. Yeah. And those are our Q's and O's from our wolf pack. Oh, wolf pack. Thank you. Yeah. I'm I'm so appreciative to everybody who wanted um to hear their observations and questions read out loud, guys. I mean like so much of the way that we talk and so much of the way that we engage is totally dependent on the way that people are engaging with us. We want this to be a conversation so much. Like today I got like five notifications on Facebook and I was like, yes, I get to read more about what everyone else is thinking about Teen Wolf. And it, it was great. So, I mean, like I endlessly appreciate this, especially to see so many names that we've been seeing since we started, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now we're moving out of Q's and O's. Do you know what our, our task is? We are going to give our official Teen Wolf, Rewolf, ranking of the seasons. Which will be the most contested <laughs> contested thing, most contested opinion on ranking you could give next to like ranking the Harry Potter books, which people always have shit fuck to say about. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to share that. Per- that's a personal I'll opinion. share mine. <laughs> Fight me. Um, but Julia, tell me right now. Top to bottom, bottom to top, however you want to do it. How do you rank the seasons of Teen Wolf? Okay, we're starting at the top. Yeah. 3B. Yeah, great. 6A. Ooh. 3A. Interested that you didn't do the 3A. They swip- all right, okay, okay, okay. Four. Okay. Two, one, 6B, five. I have a question. Hmm. Do you think that four is as technically good of a season as either one or two, or is it just more fun? It's fun. I think that the design of like the lake house and the berserkers are just like so good. Um, There's a lot of it that I find really intriguing. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is not to say like when I rank two and one like closer to the bottom, it is not because I don't like them and I don't have real affection for them. I just think that Teen Wolf like shines its strongest 
in the seasons where the cast gets to do a lot more and there's a lot more like intelligence and attention paid to the strengths of the characters and the actors. Yeah, I mean, I think you used this comparison the other day and I'm going to share it because I think it was good. Hmm. The harder of a move you do in gymnastics, the higher your potential score could be. Yeah. And the endeavors that like three A, B, four whatever are taking are so much riskier and so much bigger that you kind of do have to rank them higher because their capacity for excellence is that much broader. Mm-hmm. Yes. Would, do you have uh, anything you'd like to fight me on there? Would you like to share your own ranking of the season? I have a really hard time with the <laughs> 6A, 3A. So mm. I'm going to say like 3B. Mm-hmm. God, is it good? It's- Teen Wolf King. Chef's Kiss. Dylan O'Brien. And then it's an alternating one, too, with 3A and 6A. Mm -hmm. I did not expect to have 6A rank that high until after we rewatched it, and I had so much fun. It might be because it's fresh in mind, honestly. I wonder how I would rank if I watched them back to back. I think 6A is really tight. It's tight, man. And I think 6A is a little less tight, but I... Wait, 3A is a little less tight. No, I think 3A is tight. Okay, well, so 3A is tight and 6A is less tight. Yeah, but that, that but I like 6A better. Okay, <laughs> like interesting. Me personally. So in alternate, I'm going to put an alternating 3A. 6A. 6A. Okay. Um, I'm going to say 2. I think, even though I think that 4 is far more fun to watch, mm-hmm. I think that 2 is so much tighter of a season. I actually understand the plot of two. It's very clear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unlike four where I was like, ah, okay, I guess whatever Meredith's here, I guess. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go two, four, one, not because I don't love one, but again, like it's doing so much less than the other seasons are trying to accomplish. Okay. I almost want to put six B lower than five. Really? Maybe I might be proximity, bias like we are just off 6b i did not have a great time so i'm gonna put it like i'm gonna put like a whole like i'm gonna actually just like throw in like a free space for the movie right there and then put like a bottom line with 6b (laughs) and 5 now that i'm expecting the movie to be bad like we'll do a reshuffle when it comes out but Mm -hmm. i really think that 5 is bad for bad art reasons 6 is bad 6b is bad for bad political reasons they are both bad for bad reasons. They are both bad for bad reasons. I would I would rank five lower purely because it had far more chances to disappoint me in the fact that it was 20 episodes. Yeah, I mean, it's an exhausting chunk of Teen Wolf. And mm-hmm. again, like, I, I didn't make it through it the first time. Anybody who did, bless you. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, those are our rankings. Uh, if we do not hear people's rankings... Fight us. You better fight us. I need to know. I need to know mm-hmm. what you think. I need to I need to get take the pulse. I need to know what the wolf pack is thinking. Um so now we have one final little activity for the wrap up of the Teen Wolf Free Wolf. Ah. Julia, <laughs> you and I mm-hmm. for the final timed activity. Oh fuck. Of the show until the movie, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and I are going to give each other 30 seconds. We have not thought about this before. I took no notes. I have no plans to describe what we want to happen plot wise in the Teen Wolf movie. I am 
legitimately terrified. Um, especially considering the fact that you gave us 30 seconds, but honestly, like less time to fuck up. I'm also not going to give you 30 minutes. That would be really bad. Am I going first? Are you? I don't know. I'm just setting my timer. Okay. Um, well I give us 30 seconds because I don't know if anybody wants to listen to us stumble and fall. That's true. But I also think, you know what? I, if hmm. I didn't, I didn't have time to write a short letter so I wrote a long mm-hmm. one okay we're not giving ourselves the time to write the long one we're gonna right. perfect Teen Wolf in one little 30 second chunk that is uh, an insane proposition but I'm I'm ready for it and since I went since you went first on the final recap I will volunteer to go first hell yeah I did this. not want to lose that rock paper scissors <laughs> again because I just lost on the Highlander episode <laughs> Alrighty, Julia, are mm-hmm. you ready? You have 30 seconds on the clock to describe what you want to happen in the Teen Wolf movie. Mm-hmm. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so Scott McCall is happily working as a vet, and he plays guitar in a punk band on the side, and then all of a sudden he finds out that something is going on with Derek. He has been kidnapped. There's something going on with him. And so he's like, Styles, we got to get in the Jeep. We got to get the band back together. The first, mm, I don't know, half third of the movie is getting the band back together. They do a cross country road trip and then they all have to like get to where Derek is. And it's just like this whole big thing. Uh, did I run out of time? No, Wait, you're five <laughs> seconds. Go five seconds. Um, and then everybody gets to eat cake at the end. Great. I nailed it. <laughs> I just really want everyone to be happy. And I don't really know how you go into the movie without either continuing on from six B or retconning it. And mm-hmm. my question is, my, my solution is it does not exist. I choose not to see it. So I'm very excited to hear what your 30 second Teen Wolf movie pitch is. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. Okay. So Lydia is in grad, for, grad school at Stanford because she graduated from MIT. Ha hashtag girl boss. And she keeps hearing all of these mysterious things. And she's like, these must just be like regular banjo powers. About people are dying. And then all of a sudden she sees Allison and she's like, holy shit, I'm being haunted because Teen Wolf is now about ghosts. Ghosts. Anyway, she has to, she comes to the realization that all of these things are being trapped by the Namaton and everyone has to go back to Beacon Hills to figure out how to release all of the spirits back into the world. And her and Styles are dating and Scott and Malia are together. And uh, Theo is there. And so is Liam. It's very tense and then Derek is back and he's like we and need to figure out is time okay um, would you like to finish what you're because I was actually very invested okay I was gonna say like <laughs> Derek is back because Talia is also trapped and they go through the whole endeavor of being able to um release the power of the Nematon back into nature nice. and everything is restored in Beacon Hills well that's that's all of the the lore that I really like Hell so, yeah. Um, yeah, I will say that if Stydia has been broken up in the movie, they either need to get back together or I will set the studio on fire. <laughs> if Stydia has been broken up in the movie, they will have hell to pay. No, but like I know that everybody wants Crystal Reed back in the movie. I did hey, it babe. for you, Ghost <laughs> Allison. As long as nobody is and doing then a Lydia, French accent. Yeah, and then Lydia could finally process her grief over Allison. It would, it, it would be, actually, you know what my whole plot for the movie is everyone finally processing the grief that mm. they experience in the show quiet a quiet movie a quiet movie yes mm-hmm. um julia <laughs> i this is un- unbelievable absolutely unprecedented that we have reached the end of our series wrap-up um would you like to say anything i could not imagine what my life would like would look like at this moment without the rewolf 
It uh, has been an insane two years, personally, professionally, podcastingly, and I'm just like so tremendously grateful uh, to have done this and to have made the friends that we've made and to get to do this with you, Christian, because mm-hmm. um, it's so fun. And uh, I'm just really tremendously grateful and um, incapable of processing that this has come to an end. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that either of us, upon taking on this endeavor, ever predicted it to get to where it is. Mm-hmm. And um, to look around and see the community that I don't want to say that we've built because it's been built by the wolf pack. You know, it's it's like kind of great to like look at sort of who people are retweeting and replying to and like see the friends that you guys have made and like the mm-hmm. community that has been surrounded around this podcast like I'm incredibly proud incredibly grateful so happy for the friendships I've made I uh at certain points during this podcast thought to myself how the fuck are we gonna finish this I don't know it's been an incredibly taxing process at times if we're being honest Mm -hmm. given the global pandemic where we're at in life you know trying so hard to fit this into like our adult lives as we're navigating a new city and working on other artistic endeavors and our full-time jobs and all of this stuff. And that sounds like complagging because it a little bit is, you know, like this was a huge endeavor that I'm incredibly proud to have taken on. I'm so happy to where I, to have ended up where it is. And, um, I am so happy that it, you know, culminated in us watching all of Teen Wolf. Am I excited to not think about Teen Wolf at all ever again until the second the trailer for the movie drops? Yes, my brain is a little tired, but I think that this is something that has encouraged us to move on to other projects soon to be announced um, and sort of solidified, you know, a lot of confidence in the both of us in our ability to do this to talk about things to create and and foster this kind of intelligent thought surrounding something we like which I think was an insecurity for us both Mm. so to think that we reached this place where we are with such amazing listeners um with such a great community and with such a great platform for jumping off on I mean I couldn't be more grateful shocked awed thankful upset crying tearing (laughs) screaming throwing up I feel very overwhelmed overwhelmed um and I think that the final thought we have to give is just an incredible thank you I mean like it's (laughs) I think people sometimes are like oh you guys are you know when we see the stuff that's like you guys are my favorite podcast that one isn't saying can't does not compute maybe get better taste I don't know (laughs) but you don't understand what that means I think for the two of us like we could not be more grateful for the people who have listened over the past two years who are just listening now because they found us through the movie announcement for whatever reason you're finding the Teen Wolf Werewolf we hope you're finding us when you need it we hope that we're meeting you where you're at and we could not be more thankful that you're listening, that you're here, that you're engaged, that you want to think about things critically and approach things with intelligent integrity and to demand what 
is you deserve out of the art you consume. And if there's anything we've done, I hope that it's to teach people to demand more of the things that are meant for them because they deserve more because our listeners are smart and, you know, so invigorated by this discussion. I just, I want people to go into the world being able to look at media and know where to start talking about it. Here, here. So, I mean, I don't know if there's anything more we can say other than an incredible, heartfelt, obsessive thank you. Um, but uh, I think Julia has some siren tallies to tell us. Um, only three. three. You guys may have noticed some honking going on, mm-hmm. um, which I did not tally, but just chalk it up to the Teen Wolf Rewolf brand. Of so, noise. So that was our last <laughs> our last pack stat for the entirety of the Teen Wolf Rewolf. And for the last time, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, uh, woo!